Hey everybody, we want to give a quick warning to our listeners ahead of today's episode. Due to the content of the films we'll be discussing, this episode will contain discussion of rape, abuse, and domestic violence. While most of the discussions surrounding those topics will be in the first half of the episode, both films do center around real-life cases of murder. As always, thank you for listening. Recording this dirty and it's stinking. Funky other heavy lapuzo, I was thinking about dropping this single on the chart. Letting you know, hey, the kid has heart. I never deny myself. You better hope nobody has photos of you and your friends when you were in ninth grade, bro. Uh, I'm not working on ninth grade. I, no, a photo did surface on Instagram that I was tagged in from like 10th grade, and I immediately untagged myself. Like, Absolutely not. You are not putting that on the internet. Yeah. I think you it was your- literally at like a fucking like theme party, like a pimps and hoes party or something. Cool. I'm pretty sure. I was not dressed up. I was one of the only people not dressed up because I remember being like, I'm not. Even then, I was, I was like, hoping you were a I'm not going to do that. <laughs> I was a hoe because I didn't dress up. <laughs> yeah, if you don't dress up, you're a hoe by default. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Max and I, we didn't really hang out too much in high school, but I remember being at a party where our respective groups of friends got into a fight. Yeah, I remember those days. The pimps, hoes, and CEOs gatherings. Oh, yes. CEOs. <laughs> Office hoes and CEOs, I thought. Okay. Or pimps, Wait. hoes, and CEOs. Hey, it was like an alien <laughs> versus predator type. <laughs> <laughs> Well, right, welcome, right, right. welcome back yeah. to Rotten Rewind, a little podcast where we take in a bunch of critical <laughs> foster kids. Wow. And Damn. if they manage to not get pregnant before their 18th birthday, we officially adopt them. But only if they don't get pregnant. Wow, that's fucked up. <laughs> I know. I, I was like, I'm, I'm just going to make him say this. <laughs> if you're pregnant, I don't want you in my house. <laughs> The film ranks under 60% on RottenTomatoes.com, then we're able to talk about it here on this podcast. I'm Max Rowe. I'm Courtney Peranto, and this week we're taking a look at a set of true crime dramas from the early 2000s, all about low-waisted jeans and the wasted teens who wore them. <laughs> First, we'll be discussing Larry Clark's sweaty South Florida grindfest bully, starring the late Brad Renfro, RIP, and yeah. Nick Stahl, um, someone who I totally forgot about, before heading to the San, the San Fernando Valley for Nick Cassavetti's Alpha Dog, starring the late Anton Yelchin, as well as Justin Timberlake, who is unfortunately still alive, Ben Foster. <laughs> <laughs> and Sharon Stone in a nutty professor fat soup. <laughs> okay, listen, I don't wish Justin Timberlake were dead, but if someone was like, pick one, Anton took- or Justin, I'd be oh, like, well, we've gotten, uh, we got, we we've gotten what we I need. I mean, no, Justin. really, they should Same. take Emil Hirsch. But has anyone ever come to you and been like, here, one of these two <laughs> famous people has to die? You have to. Choose yeah, one. yeah, it's I'm like the box. Right now, yeah, it's, a, it's like is that, that proposition you face at multiple. <laughs> There's a saw type situation <laughs> happening in someone's basement. I got Justin Timberlake and Emil Hirsch tied up. <laughs> Emilio's oh, last me. words are, wait, wait. <laughs> that would be an easy choice. I'd be like, oh, yeah. I don't think anybody's working to save Emilio Hirsch. We should. People hate him, right? Yes. Well, okay. He did, right? He did, he did choke out a, a woman at Sundance. Um, oh, I did not know that. Yeah. I saw which... him once at a deli and he smelled bad. <laughs> you tell <laughs> me. You smell like shit. He just, he kinda, yeah, what like, if it was on... just deli smells? I know what a deli smells like. He didn't smell like a deli. He was with like two or three girls and he had the energy of his alpha dog character, but he was not wearing a Hawaiian shirt. We have some ties to the people in this movie, I guess. Oh, okay. We're de- oh yeah, we should say who you are. I mean, everybody knows who you are at this yeah. point. I'm You're back. like our 
This guy he lives in our basement. This is Nick, La- <laughs> this is Nick Laskin. He's a frequent frequent third here on the podcast. I thought you were just going to call me a freak. He's a freak. <laughs> this guy's a, a freak, freak who lives in the basement. <laughs> no, we you're bring a him out. third. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I'm, I'm Nick Laskin. I'm back on Rotten Rewind. These movies that we're talking about today are both special to me for different reasons. I'm excited to be here. Even though I don't sound like I'm excited, I am excited. These these movies are like the opposite of what like I think of as like my wheelhouse. So I was just like, oh whoa, like what the fuck? No, for sure. All my notes were just things that happened. Yeah, especially if you're not ready for something like Bully, it's like oh. <laughs> Yeah, well, I mean, I definitely was like dreading watching Bully more because of like the way that um, you described it and who made it. And then I think I ended up appreciating it probably the most. Nick and I grew up in the San Fernando Valley, so it was uh, Alpha Dog is even though the movie is which we'll talk about stupidly they're like we got to change locations uh it's in claremont now which is crazy (laughs) because clearly the movie is shot in the san fernando valley they expected it to be in the valley and then all those kids were from west hills right yeah they're all from west hills which is like a really specific place you know yeah it's like it's clearly shot in woodland hills and burbank and northridge and sino and they have a bunch of characters that are like you know i gotta go back to the valley or whatever it's like no no one talks about the san gabriel valley and it's like i gotta go back to the valley <laughs> and someone actually do that to me once and they corrected me when i referred to the san fernando valley as the valley but it shocked me because i'd never heard that before you know the san so gabriel wait, valley is not the valley <laughs> no the sgv is where i get chinese food for like exactly. i, I went out to the sgv all the fucking time once a week it was my sunday ritual i would go to the best the best food I've, i think that you can get is from one one dumplings it's the best yeah 101 it's so fucking good i love that place Whatever. Yeah, there's a lot. There's a line in Alpha Dog where they're like, "He's flooding the San Gabriel Valley," and I'm like, Wait, "What? <laughs> fucking dumplings?" Like, yeah, I was like, the "Fucking food? chili oil? Like, yeah. what the fuck is going on?" Yeah. <laughs> okay. You know, we we grew up with friends like the people in this movie, That's and bonkers uh, to me. Yeah, I mean, look, Lindsay I, said the same thing when I when she watched Bully with me, and I was like, "Yes, I knew kids who were similar to this," and she was like, "What?" yeah that to me (laughs) that's disgusting because i know i knew while watching these that like especially you max like i knew that your like experience of being in high school like you were in a bubble like this where i'm just like what the fuck like yeah it it definitely (laughs) it definitely hits close to home and bully was the movie that really brought nick and i together we because we were freshmen we went to high school together and you know just both being guys who like to talk about movies we we talked about bully and um it really bonded us you know yeah max had a copy of it it was i remember it vividly we were with four people including me and him and me and him just started talking i don't, this is an embarrassing thing to admit but we started talking about reservoir dogs and like really <laughs> like that all we wanted to talk about was movies out of the four people who were there and then i can't remember max if you gave me the dvd later or like i don't know why in my memory I remember that we were like riding the red line and you just had the DVD on you. I don't think that's what happened. Anybody who wants it, I'm ready to hand it over. (laughs) In hindsight, to give a movie like this to someone you don't really know and to be like, check this out is a pretty brave thing to do. If you want to be my friend. You have to like bully. You got to get with my friends. Um, Should we do the plot synopses? I guess I'm doing it this time. Right? Yeah, we should start. Like, we'll start with Larry Clark's bully. I don't understand what the hell is going on with you. You guys don't work, you don't go to school, you don't do anything. All you do is lay around and drive your cars. You know how that makes me feel? Mad. 
I want to go to a party? Sure. Welcome to the party. I got a new boyfriend, Mom. What kind? A hug. <laughs> Might as well get hot. Oh, baby, you know what I like. <laughs> He's always been like this. My best friend. He beats me. He's raped me before. The worst part is the way he picks on Marty. So what are you gonna do, Lisa? I'm gonna kill him. Turn those goddamn lights on! Is he dead yet? Getting there. So it is one of his follow-ups to his 1995 Game Changer Kids, which is probably the movie that I would expect most people have has seen out of yeah. like his catalog, out of his oeuvre. It's one that I haven't it's, seen since I was in high school, so I should probably yeah. revisit. But I mean, anyway, it's definitely not What's Up Rockers. So <laughs> I don't even know what the fuck that is. So in Bad. Bully Clark returns his gaze to the troubled lives of young adults. This time in fucking South Florida, we follow a series of high school dropouts, including Marty, played by Brad Renfro, R.I.P., a sweaty sandwich artist whose sole sense of freedom comes from surfing, it seems like, and his co-worker and childhood best friend, Bobby, played by Nick Stahl, an all-around piece of shit who considers rape a kink and watching gay porn with your friends a super chill hang. Um, I mean, we have- doesn't? <laughs> <laughs> the boys are coming over boys are weird <laughs> ali played by bijou phillips i also didn't know that we don't like her anymore but we can talk about that later a teen mom who self-medicates herself with sex drugs and excitement to escape the gravity of her own existence lisa played by rachel minor marty's pregnant girlfriend and like budding sociopath plus a handful of other local deadbeats played by a super young michael pitt and is it kelly garner yeah. Kelly Garner. Okay. After Marty confesses his past abuse at the hand of his friend Bobby, Lisa earnestly suggests killing Bobby. And since no one else in South Florida has anything better to do, and because everyone knows Bobby is a total piece of shit, they fucking do it. <laughs> and they assemble a handful of fellow deadbeats who are suddenly in over their heads as they accomplish their super undeveloped plan. But it's based on fucking a real thing that happened, so... This is cool. a very, both these movies are both very real things that happen. Bully is pretty, pretty accurate. They even use the same names, right? They do. Alpha Dog does not use the same names. Okay, but that was Bully, a question. That Bully uses the same names, the same locations. Uh, even the same arresting cops are in the movie. No. Yeah. That's cool. Sick. <laughs> what did the critics have mm. to say? We're lucky to, <laughs> to even be able to speak its name because... Bully is hovering in the 50s at 55%. So it's like one of the highest movies that we'll ever discuss here. <laughs> I mean, that makes sense to me. It makes sense to me that Bully is like a divisive. It's really the definition of a divisive alienating movie. So I'm not surprised that there were people that were, you know, championing it. And then obviously a bunch of people that were very upset by it. It's crazy. It's also the 20th anniversary of this movie. It's crazy. It's been 20 years since this movie came out. Whoa. That is crazy. That makes me feel old. It does, man. Fuck. It it is a movie. And I think that something I kept thinking about were, oh shit, I forget the name of the TV show, but like there was like that crime where like- Degrassi. 
<laughs> no, no, no. Where it's like recently ish, <laughs> like in the last like five years, like these like two depressed teens like met online and apparently like he the boy half decides that he's gonna kill himself and the girl half like encourages him to do it instead of oh, like yeah. and I was like, Oh, I I feel like that will be like these the movies like uh, like about fucked up teens now. That, like know? yeah, like there has to be like a self like definitely like social media will be kind of a quilting point for all those movies where it's like these kids like would have fucked this up even more I feel like if they had IG because yeah it's hard to imagine either one of these movies with like social media because I'm pretty sure especially in Bully like someone would have gone on Instagram like and maybe even taken a photo of the body and been like look what we did for sure (laughs) for sure 100% and like that's what I kept thinking (laughs) yeah tag it's just like I kept thinking like out of the location (laughs) geotag themselves (laughs) yeah I just kept thinking like how much worse these kids would be at crime if they had like a smartphone they are that is the thing that links the two movies is that in both films the practitioners of crime are like quite inept at it and in a lot of ways it's like yeah they're kids but with bully i hadn't seen bully in um in a quite a long time and watching it all these years later like all the just horrible decisions that are made on route to the thing that you know is going to happen that you're kind of dreading the entire time it never like strains credibility but you're like oh man these kids are fucking stupid they're making every wrong decision well i think that's what's crazy about both movies is just how like if these movies weren't true stories and someone just pitched this as a plot someone yeah. would be like okay well hold on a second yeah why the fuck would anyone do this they meet at a pizza hut to to openly be like all right so will yeah not even a domino's not even like a better pizza place that's how <laughs> like, you know they, these kids are fucked <laughs> they're so dumb like they're too dumb to know that that domino's is way better than pizza hut. i do have that now <laughs> well i think it's because their friend works at pizza hut and they can get hooked up but mm-hmm. um, i don't I, mean to be a stickler courtney but i don't know can you even sit down in a domino's oh that is true you that's have true to I don't know you if you can. Go, Pizza go, Hut's yeah. a restaurant. It's an experience, okay? You get to <laughs> okay, sit okay, in a okay. booth. The Pizza Hut here is the same. They're the same. You can just... Droop, droop. <laughs> At least it wasn't a Little Caesars where they can go. That one is supposed yeah. to be, yeah, the worst. Bottom Another of thing, I mean, we'll get into the characters because the characters are sort of like... It is an event-filled movie, but it's not like a plotty movie. But like one of the other yeah. big signifiers was Leo Fitzpatrick, who is the star of... Larry Clark's breakout movie, Kids, who has a very a kind of supporting but like interesting role here. He plays sort of a small time failed Florida gangster. <laughs> I, yeah, he's not he's, even he's really a loser. He's, he's a loser. Well, you it's like fascinating the fr- when you read the real story about the guy. His own stepdad is interviewed in this paper article I read from the from like the nineties, where the stepdad's like, he's like, he's not even my kid. I don't know. He's a fucking loser. But like this guy was time, like a fucking loser. The first time you see him, he's like in a garage with a bunch of twelve year olds who are all just yeah. like looking up to him. And like, it, I think that actually occurred to me now. I think like. When I, the first time I saw this, I was in high school. And I think when you're in high school, guys like that can seem more menacing than they actually are. And you watch this now and you're like, this is, this is the hitman. This is the guy yeah. who's going to like help them do this thing. I think the movie does a good job of showing you just like how clearly pathetic he is. And I think Leo Fitzpatrick is actually pretty well cast in that part. Yes. But, but yeah, I mean, like, I think going back to just these movies in general, like this was one that, like we said, Nick and I saw in high school. And Courtney, this is your first time seeing it, right? Yeah, first time seeing it. You know, I used to go to a video store that would, the guy who worked there recommended me some very specific movies when I was 13 years old that I, you know, <laughs> had like a huge impact on me. So I was like, this and Happiness I saw around the same mm-hmm. time and both really like, yeah, like I said, had a huge, massive impact on me. But yeah, the first time I saw Bully, I was 13 and 
And like, I don't think I'd ever really, I hadn't seen kids at the time, but I was always interested in stories like that. You know, the kind of like troubled youth, like kind of edgier, kind of grimy movies and, and bully i just remember being like glued to when i was 13 because i was like i've never seen anything like this i mean because of the underboob from bijou no not just the whole everything about (laughs) it was just like i was like i can't believe this exists like it was opening a whole new world to me i'm not even being hyperbolic when i tell you like the ending of that movie like i was physically upset and shaking by the end of it yeah did you know when you watched it as a kid that like it really fucking happened i did yeah yeah yeah. I, i i gathered that from reading like the plot synopsis and stuff and then yeah, and then that's what made me want to read the book about it and like the to get like more information, I guess. I don't know. I was thirteen and I was like, yeah. I gotta know more <laughs> <laughs> And yeah, and then, you know, showed it to Nick and and then uh, That's interesting that it was your first movie of his. I mean I, I don't had, think I had seen kids. I knew that I knew about kids, but I don't I think saw I had seen kids it. in like eighth grade and Hi. eighth grade was kinda when kids started like smoking weed and talking mm-hmm. about like getting BJs and all that shit. And like kids <laughs> was like I'm just I wanna kids was Kids was like this forbidden thing that like people would like pass the DVD around and be like, yo, you have to watch this. It's oh, kids so is crazy. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And I was, I, and I remember when I got to high school, the most mortifying thing was that I would talk to kids about the movie kids and they'd be like, Oh yeah, man, Casper's the fucking shit. And it's like, Oh, <laughs> even, even when I was 14, I was like, Oh, you took the wrong lessons from that. Movie. <laughs> Yeah, and then yeah. by the time I saw Bully, I I still think Bully for I think because it Bully actually kind of has a moral point of view that kids doesn't really have. Kids is more like here's this world, here are these you know lost kids. Bully for some reason still hits me in that way that it did when I was a kid. I hadn't seen Bully in probably over ten years. It had been a long time, and like obviously like the flaws of it stick out more to me now. But I don't know. There's still something about it that really gets under my skin mm-hmm. and is just in, especially compared to alpha dog. I think you really see, which we'll talk about later, obviously, but like, I think when you see the last half of bully versus the last half of alpha dog, mm-hmm. you really see where alpha dog drops the ball. Yeah. <laughs> Larry Clark. I don't know. And I wouldn't even say it's a moralistic movie necessarily. I think there's, automatically going to be more moralizing in it than something like kids which is more just almost like a docudrama kind of in a way where it's just like Mm -hmm. observing these people's lives where bully has that but i think what works about bully in the end is that it doesn't it's so hard i think it's a really deceptively hard line to walk where you're deglamorizing that lifestyle and what's happening and authentically portraying it but never quite moralizing or hitting you with a message or like any type of speechifying or like, you know, the the, the parent being like, I, I don't know what happened. Yeah, you know, right. like I, I definitely don't think it's a moralistic movie. I think what I meant to say was that I think it has a moral point of view. I think kids is a little more just like verite. I think bully, like particularly watching it now, it really to me is about like the tedium of murder and the tedium of committing like an unlawful act. And in both movies and kids and bully and in Alpha Dog, you have like more or less privileged kids who just kind of exist in a moral void and don't know how to confront or deal with their problems. In Bully, there's a version of the story because the whole thing comes down to a friendship that is toxic and abusive and one-sided. And there's probably a version of the story where if these kids had the tools to work through that, they wouldn't have killed their friend. But they sort of operate in this world where convenience and, and cheap illicit pleasure is the only thing they care about. 
fuck. So it's like and, and apathy. So it's just like, ah, yeah, right. fuck it. let's kill him. I mean, like with both of these movies, too, I think that because at this point in my life, I am probably like right in between the ages of like the parents and the kids. I feel like they both ne- don't necessarily like blame the parents, but do know that like that the parents have like failed them. Like, yeah. I feel like it is about this like generate like the boomers generation just kind of being like, oh, fuck it. Like, yeah. So then I had kids and like whatever, but I still want to jazz. Then or they killed like, someone. Yeah. <laughs> it, it, it is like a lack, like they are lackadaisical parents. And that is like why they get like this group of like Gen Xers who don't give a fuck. Right. What I will say, like, and I do like, I like the movie and I am not trying to say that like, this is a flaw of the movie. But then like when I went on Wikipedia and like looked at like the true events, like I think that it is, really curious and telling that like in real life Bobby was Iranian like he yeah, was not a right. white person and I do think that if that would like if that was kept in the movie it would feel more hate crimey I also feel like how how they view him as too, like he's depicted as like two-faced like he's like really he he does the best at like performing in front of parents like a like a good kid and the other kids can't do that aren't as good at that but I think that that would again like if it was like a person of color read as like not necessarily being two-faced but like code switching and I think that for a movie that like it seems like yeah it is more it it goes out of its way to like yeah you're right like be at the same place as like it gets to keep their names but it it changes like that really big like that really big important fact it's like that kid was actually Iranian (laughs) yeah I think that's really that was something that I definitely wanted to obviously is a really important thing to talk about with the movie because you know at the time when I first saw it I I didn't know that and I wasn't really I wouldn't have processed that the same way that I would now watching it but yeah I mean like they're they're an immigrant family he's first generation they move there when he's six there's this whole thing with the parents of instilling this work ethic and, and and telling him about the importance of school and as he gets older I think that's what's interesting about Bully is that like I think it traffics a little bit more in the gray area where it's like it is kind of impossible to pin down exactly what went wrong here and it's kind of like alpha dog i think tries to find a very clear yeah kind of cut road to go down whereas bully i think is just and i think that's why larry clark for better words like i think is the best person to make this movie i don't know anyone who would have made a movie like this where it's observing them and just kind of like portraying them very authentically to you and just kind of like dropping you into their lives but it doesn't I don't know. It's it's interesting because it still leaves you wondering, like, not necessarily like, you know, I don't think you're watching the movie thinking like, yeah, fucking kill him. But you're like, no, yeah, I mean, this you don't like a, Bobby. Like, that's like the big difference between the two movies, too, is that like in Alpha Dog, the person that ends up dead is someone that like you really he's the most likable character in that story yeah so well that's like yeah that one is like a just straight up like oh my god you fucking idiots this is a horrible Mm -hmm. horrible tragedy and the other one is a little more gray where it's like well you it almost would have made more sense if it was just like a spur of the moment crime someone kills this guy because they've had enough it's but i think that they're also scared of him like i think marty has is like been under his thumb for so long that he he, I don't think he yeah I think it had to be a plan the way that it went to, I, I can't believe how stupid they are like true like it, it's both movies to me are crazy because it's like these kids don't even think about like what comes after the murder at all right. it's like it's just you you're trying to do murder in the well, same way that like you want a burger later well, and they, then once the murder <laughs> once you get murder you're like uh-uh he beats me he's raped me before the worst part is the way he picks on Marty he treats him like a dog or a slave or something Pissing me off so bad I can't stand it. So what are you gonna do, Lisa? I'm gonna kill him. That's some heavy shit. Yeah, it is. So how are you gonna do it? Oh. 
Hey, why are you guys like so serious? I'm gonna fix Bobby Kent's ass. Cool. I think what stood out to me watching these two movies, because I watched them fairly close together, is that Larry Clark really takes his time building up to the murder, like, you know, cutting between the car rides that are on their way out there. And it's kind of one of those instances of, I think it is audience manipulation, because Bobby, by any conceivable traditional metric, is a vile, terrible human being. And yet, when he's being stabbed to death repeatedly in the middle of a swamp by the people who are, in theory, his closest friends and for in a way it almost doesn't matter because on some theoretical level you can be like yes he is a rapist he is a toxic bullying abuser on some level he had it coming but any he's person he's an m&m fan he's an m&m fan exactly i gotta say i had that exact m&m poster that oh sorry max, sorry, max. you, you can live no no, no it's okay there's there's a, i would never stab you i would never stab you there's an m&m freestyle in the movie done by brad renfro that reminds me of high school era max wow <laughs> <laughs> this movie actually kind of does feel dangerous in a way that Alpha Dog just doesn't. Because, right. you know, the, if you see Justin Timberlake in, you know, a ska hat and board shorts being like, yo, what the <laughs> fuck, dog? Like, that's just not, you know, the kids in this movie actually feel like lost souls. Yeah, they way. do. Well, they yeah, do. it's the difference between Larry Clark, who's like, I think what Nick Cassavetes maybe thinks he is. But like, because Cassavetes <laughs> just is clearly at the end of the that's day. Right. Just, and I mean, obviously, like, look, Larry Clark is he's a f- incredible photographer i mean he's been around since the 70s he's really just you know there's really nobody like larry clark i mean he exists in that kind of like nan golden kind of style of photography that's just mm-hmm. really unparalleled and like i think that that's why he's so perfect for this movie and that like yeah like there is a way to look at bully and there's parts where you're like this is irresponsible or this is this is uncomfortable but i think the movie should feel uncomfortable yeah. i'm not i'm not excusing border no i hear what you're saying max no, because it's a, it's a tough thing where i'm like i i like that it's like this but yeah when you really step out of it and consider who the director is and his age it's creepy but I also think you're not supposed to feel anything good from this movie like it would be one thing if the movie because you're right Max the movie the camera work of this movie is leering in a way that feels gross but it's not ever supposed to be titillating I don't think every like even the sex in this movie that is like consensual is pretty nasty and I can't really explain why I think I'm because it looks like you're really watching teenagers have sex and it's yeah I forgot about Michael Pitt having fucking like dripping wet hot (laughs) candles that is I laugh so hard at that introduction it cuts into that and there's that tricky song playing The um, soundtrack of this movie is an embarrassment of riches. Let's just get that out. <laughs> it is. Well, it's so much better than the Alpha Rock soundtrack. It also feels oh, like man. legit like music that they would have listened to. Yeah. Even yeah. though the real crime took place in 1993. And the big difference here is that, and I understand, I think it's smart that Larry Clark was like, we're just it not going to say when it takes place. It's just yeah. going to be kind of now for budgetary purposes. And just like, yeah, he was like, I don't want to get caught up in like an anachronistic like bullshit. Like, it's just like, let's just shoot it. Like, let's not make it a distracting period piece. Because it does still feel like it could be the 90s it could be the 2000s like it exists in this very weird bubble I think that also Larry Clark does you know like he's not really always talked about as like a technically like proficient director you're not like wow that Larry Clark shot or something like that but it's more just about like the vibe and what he's able to capture through performance but I I will say I think that from the murder on it's really well directed the tension that he builds up to the murder scene and the actual murder itself is still blood chilling like that is a horrifying scene yeah 
really hard to watch. I yeah, like this movie so much more than I thought I was going to. Because my thing with both of the movies like this is because my adolescent experience was like so different from this. I think that I always like had a chip on my shoulder when there are movies about like a troubled teen because I felt like I was fucked up, but I still had like perfect attendance. Like my fucked upness was tidy and neat. And like movies like this where like kids are actually fucked up. I was like, no fair. They get to like do it all. They get it like, so I did not. So I am not someone that's like attracted to these movies, but I liked it a lot. And I also think that like a worse director or writer would have made it. I think that the way that we learned that Bijou Phillips is a teen mom is like, we've already known that character for like 20, 25 minutes, 30 minutes. And I think that like in a different movie, uh, like with somebody worse, we would have like seen that. That would have been how she was defined from the moment that the movie introduced her. And she gets to like be a person, however fucked up that person is. Like it is at least, it's still concerned about her as a human being. So when you learn that about her, you're like, I don't know, you're more endeared to her and you feel just sort of bad. It makes her character so sad. Yeah. Well, Larry Clark kind of owns that genre too. Like where I've like even watching movies from the last like five years where like, I don't know, like I remember when I first watched Heaven Knows What by the Safdie brothers, I was like, this isn't exactly like Larry Clark, but Mm -hmm. things about it remind me of Larry Clark. Yeah. I feel like them and like Eliza Hitman. Yeah. When I saw Beach Rats, I felt the same thing. And I think, and Euphoria on HBO. I mean, I just, think like there are a lot of things where you see his influence and Larry Clark's photography influenced Taxi Driver you know like oh yeah his influence is huge he's been around for a while and I it's one of those things where the debate around him and whether or not his movies should exist is absolutely necessary to them exist Mm -hmm. like can you imagine a world where like those movies just and the other thing is that he's kept making the same movie he keeps getting older and these kids stay the same age as as the line goes but But, and and to that end, like, I can't imagine a world where people, like, he keeps making these kind of borderline exploitative voyeuristic youth gone wrong movies and people are like, ah, Larry Clark, that rascal. He'll never... Yeah. Larry's you crazy. know, it's, it's good that well, the people... funny thing is that he's creepy for sure, but like <laughs> he's never been accused of anything. Yeah, I think quite the opposite. Creepy. I think people who work on, with him, except for Bijou Phillips, who has a story about him, but most people who work uh, with him end up forming friendships with him. Yeah. Well, the funny thing is that he clearly, that's the thing I was thinking watching. And I was like, yeah, there's definitely like a ethically kind of gray area here that we can talk about. But at the same time, like these actors did clearly value their time working with him they've all talked for the most part talked about how they enjoyed working with him as Larry Clark has gotten older and made more movies he's almost went down like a Todd Solondz route where it's been harder Mm -hmm. and harder for him to get actors to work with him maybe but he clearly is good with actors I think both movies let their actors loose in a way that but with this and alpha dog yeah, yeah but with bully it feels controlled still somehow it still feels like I think the the flawed parts of Bully almost add to the movie's greatness, like the mm-hmm. messiness of it. Yeah. And even with the performances, because Bijou Phillips is, for all intents and purposes, like, not a good actress, but she's really good here. I was going to say, like, I don't think I realized that she was a good actress and then not- I was so into her performance in this that I looked her up and I was like, oh, fuck, she's married to what's-his-name? <laughs> oh, God. Oh, yeah, who is she married to now? <laughs> that fuck face from that 70s show that's been, like, accused yeah. of, like, rape. Danny and Ma- she's yeah. like, no, he's oh, fine. Wow. Like, she seems like, in real life, I don't at think this I point, in her life sort of a terrible person yeah i because i would I, w- I really liked her performance like that scene where she's like driving around with her mom and she's like well what if um that she's scene really... is my favorite well so there's a quote from larry clark where he was interviewed about bully and he 
had a quote about BG Phillips, which is like, knowing now that BG Phillips sucks, it's like, I don't really care as much about what he said about her, but... I think I know the quote. Yeah, he, what, what, he what, was like I pushing don't. them like crazy, and he said, Larry Clark was talking about the movie, he said, I got a, I got great performances out of everyone. I got great performances out of Bijou Phillips, who can't act a lick and was terrible. I had to find ways around that to make her good, and I made her so good. I said, when this <laughs> film comes out, she's going to get all these jobs, and the directors are going to have no idea that she can't act a lick, and she's crazy <laughs> as a bug. And after the film, she got some big roles in film, and they cut her out of them because nobody could have done what I did. Whoa. The confidence. He basically was like, of all people, we got we got the go-ahead. He said Bijou Phillips got the movie Finance, though. He said, That's of all people, we got the go-ahead with Bijou. She was like the Paris Hilton before Paris Hilton. She was a club kid. Yeah. She was 15 years old, out there in all these clubs, 15 years old, fucking everybody. Producers that I know, all men and shit, were fucking her. Everybody was fucking her, and I just found it disgusting, man. And the first time I met her, she came to me at this club and sat down next to me, put her arm around me, took my cigarette out of my mouth and started smoking it. And she started talking to me, hugging me and kind of feeling me up. She hadn't acted, but that name, because she was in the paper every day as a club kid, that name got us money to get financed. That's so gross. She fucked but, everyone. And also, isn't her dad the one like her that was accused of by like a different daughter? I don't think that they have the same mother of like raping. Busy Phillips? I think Busy Phillips is better than Bijou Phillips, but I'm not sure about that. I think everyone's really good in it. For the most yes. part. Like there's some everyone's really good. Max, you and I have talked about Rachel Minor and how we didn't like her performance at a certain point. And I actually Oh, I've come full circle. Yeah. She's I really I've come, like her I'm glad movie. you said that. I've come yeah. full circle too. Okay. I forgot how naked she is in this movie. She is very, very naked. naked in this movie. And this is like one of her first roles, I believe. Um for most of these actors, it was like some of their first parts. Like Nick Stahl was a child actor, Brad Renfro was a child actor, and obviously Brad Renfro's career is about to it's about to take a dive after this this he dies seven years later tragically do you guys um, know the production stories about him on the set of this movie no he was like coming down from um was it crack or heroin i think it was heroin larry clark claims that he kidnapped him forcefully and drove him like across state lines and that he basically kicked like just went cold turkey in the car yeah. and like sweated it out and larry clark in the same interview very unsentimentally was like yeah it doesn't take long to kick it like two three hours like for from the perspective of someone who probably knows what he's talking about. And there was another story where apparently he ran away from the production. No one could find him. And he ended up like trying to steal a dude's boat, but the he boat did. was- yeah, He stole it. He I stole thought, a boat? I thought, stole a the bo- I thought the yacht was tied to the dock. It was, but he still stole it and he ripped it off the dock and he took oh, the that's dock amazing. with him. Just because he was fucked up? Yeah. He yeah, saw, why not? He basically saw a party <laughs> happening on a boat and was like, oh, fuck, I got a party. So he gets super fucked up and then he steals someone else's yacht and then he gets arrested and then Larry what? Clark has to bail him out of jail with production money. Fucking like, no way. This movie must you, have been insane to be on the set of. There were parts of this movie where, because I read a good deal about Brad Renfro after watching it, there were parts of this movie that were almost too painful for me to watch because just knowing what he must have been going through. Yeah. I think that's the thing is like you have the rebel without a cause problem almost where like if you're gonna make a movie about genuinely lost shitty aimless kids who have no direction and are headed on a bad track and you cast you know like a James Dean or a Justin Timberlake it's not to say you can't do that but you're fighting an uphill battle you have to make the audience forget that they're watching a star essentially and yeah saw this movie for the first time I had no idea who any of these people are and that just adds to the kind of effect yeah I think Nick Stahl was the only one who I was familiar with and I think I knew who Bijou Phillips was because because like for exactly the reason that you just read because she was sort of in like teen magazines for being 
being beautiful. She's really beautiful. And then I think I knew who Nick Stahl was, but again, he was just like a periphery dude. Yeah. And then Brad like Renfro, I, and- I like, I definitely have the movie of his that I probably watch every year is Ghost World. I yeah. watch that movie all yeah, the time. Yeah, Ghost World's yeah. the same year as this. And obviously Michael Pitt ends up being the biggest, arguably, but then has his own problems yeah. and being difficult on set. But especially watching this, i like, Michael Pitt's really good in this. Everyone's really good in it. Like, I, there, really there's funny. no one that I feel like isn't on. Like, but yeah, yeah. he is really good. I think He's even really um, Daniel Francesi, the guy from He's the very Eagles, good. This is his first movie. There's always like archetypes in those types of groups. Like, that was the thing that was so kind of scary about watching it now is like, I have seen friendships where there is one, and it's always men, where there's one guy who is domineering and cruel. And then there's the lapdog who just yeah. soaks up the abuse and takes mm-hmm. it and is just happy to be around. And to the point of Michael Pitt, even if you hang out with bad kids, and I think Max and I at various points in our lives have been in those crowds, not even bad kids, but kids who were just doing bad shit. There's always that one guy who's kind of harmless, who just wants to get stoned and kind of doesn't want any trouble. And yeah. the irony of the movie, of course, then becomes that he's one of the major figures in the actual murder. Yeah, he ends up being the first person to stab him. Also, and it's not really dwelled on in the movie, but that was that guy's 18th birthday. Oh, wow. Wait, the, the stoner guy, not the... Donnie Semenik in real life, that was his 18th birthday. He was trying to get a ride home the whole day because he knew what was going to happen. No one would give him a ride, so he went with them. And by the end of the night, he was the first one that stabbed him. I, I wouldn't even know how to like begin to unravel like the psychology in this movie because I think it has so many layers in it that I think Clark does a good job of not really dwelling too much on any mm-hmm. of them. But not in like a way that feels lazy. It just feels like he's kind of like presenting you with just little. It's it's interesting how he takes true aspects of the story and their friendships. And I think he does a good job of implementing them into the story without making it feel like it's never done to like move the plot along mm-hmm. or to like make you feel like more endeared to a character necessarily. But especially like the whole gay porn, that right. whole subplot, which is really, really. Is that real? It's real. Yeah, and and in the book, they get even more detailed with it. It's disgusting. It's really vile. So what happened was, is these two guys were, they would work out at the YMCA. Also in real life, both these guys were huge. And I, yeah. I was just going to say, that was the other thing too. It was like, about, Nick Stahl yeah. looks little. Like again, he he's kind of like a Nick Carter type. <laughs> he's just like kind of a little twerpy sweat fit, fuck face. But like IRL, the dude was like fucking jacked. They were both like bodybuilders who were fucked up on steroids, which I think added a lot to what was going on. These oh shit, were really, they were on steroids? Yeah, they were juicing. They were juicing. <laughs> oh yeah, you are weird if you're on steroids. But huh? yeah. to, your, to your point, Max, that, because I've read the book too, that whole thing about about the gay porn side of it and the bodybuilding thing and how they sort of like lured these men into their weird operation. That could almost be its own movie. I don't yeah. know who the fuck would want to watch that movie. Yeah, I it's, will. It's, it's really, <laughs> yeah, maybe no, it's, it's not even like, so if you watch like some of the like kind of true crime like documentaries on it, for some reason, I don't know how they were allowed to do this, but they show you some of the <gasps> videos that they took. They would pick up older men, take them to hotel rooms and film them like masturbating or like fucking themselves with dildos. And then they would blackmail them and be like, we're going to expose you if you don't pay us. Really? And then sometimes they would beat the guys up. They're really, 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 really upsetting. So the relationship between these two is so fucking weird and complex. I don't know. Like, it's it's hard to tell. You're like, is Bobby internalizing, is his homophobia a result of him internalizing his own homosexual feelings? That's or, what I felt like just watching does, the movie. The movie not does knowing, kind of yeah. say that. Yeah. Well, and, there's and one scene that I don't. With Marty, you know. 
it's hard to tell. Is Marty in love with him? It's hard because to it really... feels like once the Rachel Minor character enters, it's like right. I mean, obviously the relationship has never been great because it seems like it's always toxic and abusive but it's like it's when there's this woman that is spending as much time with him it, it feels like they're both upset he feels because displaced or yeah, something he's being torn between the two come here man take a look at this picked up this guy from the copa i can't believe you gotta do this yeah it's fucking disgusting man it's nasty dude you and marty do this yeah we're gonna sell this to porno shops and we're gonna pay top dollar for this this is gross dude i'm gonna wait outside but you don't like a fucking tape no it's gross shit man all right i don't like it at all all right at all i'm gonna wait outside oh, okay there's also like a throwaway scene. It's it's a scene that Max and I have joked about before. Nick Stahl is standing naked in front of a mirror. And <laughs> he spits on the mirror. That's not what's weird about it though. And I don't know that I realized how weird this scene was. His dad comes home. Oh yeah. Enters yeah. the bathroom, fully clothed. His yeah. son is buck ass naked. And they just proceed to have like a very otherwise normal conversation about like, what are you going to do with your life? I know. I had to know. I was like, do dudes do? this and no like, if my also, parents said i'd be like whoa whoa what are you doing <laughs> yeah if my dad came into the bathroom and i was like that i'd be like get the fuck out dad. right okay okay and then there's like <laughs> another scene i think it might be brad renfro though he's just walking around his house that he lives with like his parents and his sibling and his grandparent with like fully shirtless and i was like i just feel like that's more believable to me because they live in florida it's probably okay, it's extremely like, so it's, hot i mean this is a movie yeah, and sometimes young men walk sweat. around the house shirtless that's disgusting. like disgusting it's gross but it's not your dad coming in when you're naked yeah in the yeah yeah room, I mean, gross the interesting thing too is that if they would have made the character iranian which i i at the end i at the end of the day given it's 2001 given it's larry clark I think it's probably good that they didn't. I think yeah, it's good that he did. I, I think, smart. but I would like to hear him like, because I know why he had to change it to be a white person. I just want to hear. I just want to hear him say it because for a movie that does feel like it wants to be a close depiction of like what actually happened, like I think I think that the race of Bobby is like so salient. Like I I wonder too, like if he it was makes the it a white very person, different story. It does, and I and like because then it makes even the characters that I feel sort of endeared to, like Bijou Phillips's character, it, it turns it. Then I kind of hate them all because I don't know if Bobby would have been a person that they would be like, let's kill him if yeah. he was white. Like, I, you know what I mean? Like, I just... It changes the dynamic in every way. Like, because then again, if he's the child of immigrants, then... Because in the movie, he he's the one who comes from the most adjusted family, mm-hmm. which, is all, which is interesting because it's like he's allowed to get away with the most. Mm-hmm. And by making his parents white, it's just like, okay, so they're just rich, mm-hmm. upper middle class people Well, it's interesting because with the up- dad, he does look vague vaguely like it's like he gets it but he a little it's like okay. he un, it's like he knows what's happening but he'd rather not think about it but then yeah like if you make him a person of color then you're amplifying the kind of latent even though these characters are all like middle class there is just the privilege of being a white person yeah the person who is the prospective villain of your story is not a white person yeah it changes everything the thing that really works about this is that this to me is like how you should do a true crime movie because it doesn't feel like he's obsessing over timelines and details the way like something like Alpha dog is well with alpha dog it's a little well more, you kind of need to point out the timeline and the witnesses and things like that i think he does alpha dog also has like the but... fake talking head thing yeah, yeah we can movie, get it it's just yeah, yeah. whereas <laughs> like with here it's like i think it's just it just authentically is portraying a moment it feels like you're really just dropped into a moment in time 
And I think yeah. it's really hard to do. And that's the magic trick of the movie is that you do just feel like a fly on the wall where you're like, oh my God, yeah. I can't believe this is happening. Get me out of here. Yeah, you're like, I can't believe I'm watching this. And and like you said, Courtney, like it's almost funny. Like I couldn't help but laugh at times when they're talking about how they're going to kill him. Like when Brad Renfro is first on the beach crying, he's like, you know, we could kill him. And Rachel Miner's reaction is so chilling. She goes, yeah, that's what Very I was chilling. thinking. Like it's so casual. And yeah. then they stick their tongues out and start sucking on each other's tongues. It's and the I don't grossest know this, but br- So I gross. Brad Renfro, when he's sucking in her tongue before the scene cuts you hear him go holy shit (laughs) 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 it's so gross and then even when Bijou Phillips goes to meet Michael Pitt which is a great scene which opens with a Texas Chainsaw Massacre shot of Bijou Phillips walking up the lawn right. which i thought was interesting and then she's like pulling on his hair and michael pitt's so good he's like i like when you pull my hair pull my hair she's he's like talking about his birthday he's like yeah my friends are gonna come over he's like talking about his birthday and she literally says yeah whatever anyway so and like interrupts him to be like so my friends are gonna kill this guy and he's like what yeah, yeah, they, yeah they the all murder treat- of this movie is really casual the yeah idea they that- all treat their plan to murder bobby in the same way that like it's like how you any order a pizza. gossip yeah, yeah or like how gossip circulates like yeah they're like you sure you want to do that all right like um, michael pitt's reaction to getting that news is so funny he just like he can't get his hand around it he's like you're actually gonna kill him like you're gonna kill him (laughs) and then he's fucking dead like yeah he's that brain dead that he just he can't even get his yeah but at least he thought about like (laughs) he at least he had some resistance to he's the one out of all of them that i'm like i really don't think this guy knew what was happening me too i actually don't think that he knew what was going on i think he was almost like in a (laughs) manson-esque like days of LSD where it was yeah. like, I don't think he could decipher between reality and like fiction at that and the, point. the dude but, from Mean Girls, I can't, what is his name? Uh, Daniel Francesi, I believe. Daniel Francesi. Yeah. His character is even more heartbreaking because it's not like he's under a daze but it's like he's just impotent where he's watching mm-hmm. everything happen. He's watching all these decisions being made. He's fucking the king of the arcade so he has this, that's like what he has going for him. The scene right before they go out to kill him where Leo Fitzpatrick is kind of vetting all the, you know, people in the gang and he goes to Daniel Francesi's character and he's like oh who are you you're a tough guy and Michael Pitt's like oh yo this motherfucker like lights people up at the arcade and there's just for these kids there's (laughs) but it's funny but like there's no differentiation between video game violence and real violence and it's like it's totally a Columbine commentary without being annoying about it this movie has I think so much to say about that disconnect, which is so kind of like particular to that period. Well, like there's that scene too where they're all just like hanging out in like a girl's bedroom and like the girl's bedroom looks like a typical bedroom but like they're talking about something so insidious and i think that like it is a good warning shot to be like you know kids these kids are dumb but kids aren't as like vacant or they're not just like okay like they're like uh they're just doing something stupid over there like with the kids like the parents are always in the periphery and i do like that's another detail of the movie that i like like constantly parents are being like how are you guys doing you need sandwich it like like yeah shit like like that his mom is the only one that kind of comes close to being like yeah something is off here especially when you read about the real people like like her life is really it all kind of like makes sense when you Marty is the one that's the kind of biggest I think question mark with Lisa like she her father basically abandoned her she grew up with a single mother she had weight issues she literally did have a shrine above her bed like in the movie that was labeled with the words what women want around it and it was just all these photos of like beauty imagery from magazines and things like that and like what she wanted to look like and she just wanted a boyfriend like this and she wanted to it, it's very more it's a lot more tragic because she does clearly just want to be loved and And there is a tenderness in the scenes with her and marty that really stands out because the rest of the movie is so savage and so kind of 
kind of pitiless, but like their scenes together, like even the first scene where they're getting stoned together and Marty's talking about the first time he got stoned with Bobby, like Mm -hmm. that's as close as the movie gets to depicting like a normal, sweet human relationship. Yeah. She does do a really good job in some of those scenes. Like even the way that she like goes and casually like tells friends about what happened. Yeah. Yeah, Like the the one girl that's like sunbathing. Yeah. She's like, what? (laughs) Because that character like reacts like the most like an audience surrogate. Like, yes. Because because also I think that because she she's like putting it together and she's like, he's like, she's putting it together as you actually would. But then I also think that she doesn't know whether or not to believe her. But the parts of her that believes her also knows that like she should stay nice to this person because apparently they killed someone. Yeah. If some girl shows up on my front lawn, like (laughs) then we killed them. I'd be like, oh. But that scene is so important too, because it's like one of the first times post murder where they break out of their little bubble Mm -hmm. and interact with someone in the real world they're so used to talking about the murder like it's no big deal and then they're just like going around like yeah we fucking killed him and then someone understandably (laughs) is like huh what yeah and then and she acts and like rachel rachel manor's character acts like that character is being a bitch because she won't give her ride back to a crime scene and i think that seems important too because it also shows like how easily you you can be made like an accessory to a crime like max and i have talked a lot about the ending of this movie it's sort of it's funny like watching it now i think there are a lot of narratives that spend like crime narratives in particular they spend like the first three quarters of their story you know headlong forward momentum towards Mm -hmm. the event in question and then everything at the end is like it no longer feels good there's no longer the excitement of getting away with something it's just a horrible sobering crash to earth and the truth is that some of these kids they do learn to grow up and become like people you know like not all of them go down this path some of them do not to say this exact path but you know max and i both know kids from our high school years who were casualties to like just a dumb destructive lifestyle and there is something in this movie at the end where at a certain point i think anyone who's watching it kind of knows how it's going to end but like on one level you could say oh well i'm glad these kids are getting what they deserve i guess because they took someone's life but to me it's like you see it and you're like well these kids had a whole life to live and they could have yeah they could have lived it if they just, you yeah. know, and again, that comes down to how they were raised and the culture that they were raised in and the values right. that they were raised in. And, and that's to Max's point about how psychologically layered this movie really is. Because it, it feels like, I think that a story that has been like told over and over and over again in movies is like the Leopold and Loeb mur- murders. Because like, yeah, I think right. that that's what Murder by Numbers is sort of based on. I know that that's what Rope is sort of based on. And I think that like that version of like two sort of like very smart young men figuring out like just for thrills to kill someone one is I don't know like not more attractive but like that's a story that we're used to seeing and so the fact that so when that those characters get punished you're like yeah you meticulously plan this and right. you're smart but yeah. these people sort of like absent-mindedly tiptoed into murdering someone and it just feels like a waste all around it's like like he's dead exactly, their yeah. lives are gone whereas like something you know something like murder by numbers you're like yeah rotten hell you fuck like <laughs> yeah it's it's way way more complex here and I think unlike you know with Alpha dog where those characters are all predominantly wealthy and and you know coming from really strong like two-parent households all the kids in bully for the most part are coming from broken households or the heather character that kelly garner plays the girl Mm -hmm. who's in rehab who comes out like i was reading about her and she's almost the most tragic her grandfather in real life murdered her grandmother and then raped her corpse 
and then her mother don't they talk about that in the yeah movie? they talk about that yeah and yeah. so and her mother grew up to become a horrible drug addict and alcoholic and would sit the real heather and her brother down and read out the trial transcripts to them of what oh. her father did to her mother and would oh make God. them hear this so troll. she never had a shot basically. exactly it's yeah. like so you have these people that come from these broken families and i think it really it does really call into question just like way more so just like the moral gray area here where it's like even the hitman is like a fucking loser he was abandoned yeah. Yeah. by his family <laughs> and like in another movie like that could have been a comedy like literally at one point yeah like, yeah for sure for ride. sure and like this guy doesn't have a car <laughs> right. he he's like i can't get guns he's, he's part of a gang the crazy motherfuckers that nobody's really heard of yeah it's a bunch of teenagers and he's really not even a part of the gang he just got the tattoo i don't know it's just it's really really sad and i think think the Bijou Phillips character was the only one that came from money but even her character when she was 14 years old was turning tricks in hotel rooms mm-hmm. and gets impregnated and is married before she turns 17 has a kid oh, her family's geez. taking care of it and then she's raped repeatedly and abused by Bobby and in real life they did have like an actual relationship mm-hmm. And she filed the police report at one point on him because he beat the shit out of her and nothing came of it. So it doesn't justify brutally murdering somebody, but... And it's not one of those things where you're watching it like, oh, I can't wait to see, like, the murder. Like, you're Mm -hmm. dreading it. You know, Max and I have been... We watched the Richard Ramirez thing that's on Netflix. And Lindsay, my girlfriend, and I talk a lot about how immersed and saturated we are in true crime and how that kind of detaches us from actually... Like, it's all just consumable now. Mm -hmm. You know, you divorce yourself from the real calamity and atrocity of those things. And in Bully, there's such a strong sense, like Max was saying, of just wasted lives. You know, like lives that who knows what Bobby Kent would have gone on to be if he wasn't murdered. Going back to Max's point, that it's like they're in such like a fucked up situation that like, of course, something has to happen. Like you're going to reach a boiling point. However, however, like I feel like what would be more typical is, is like what you think would happen is that you would think that Bobby would actually eventually kill somebody, probably one of the young women or or, or Marty. Like, yeah. and that's not to say that like this the murder is justified, but I think that, yeah, like I think that like what makes this true crime story and this story so peculiar is that it does feel like the person who was killed is typically the person that would I mean he did enact violence I feel like he's a person that seems like he would take something too far he has the most like serial killer energy yeah like what's what's peculiar is that like they just were like yeah let's kill him and like everyone wanted to because he sucks that much that's the defense attorney listen I mean if if all these kids get together and want to kill someone this bad I mean they got suck right yeah. <laughs> Listen, this guy this guy really sucks. this guy was juicing he was raping he was doing gay porn he made all the girls watch the gay porn we don't know why the whole thing is so it's so gross and i think you're right nick like we're so desensitized now that like you know i've always been attracted to stories like this and true crime but yeah now i'm like it's like a weird version of like man i like this before everyone else did yeah like, no 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 like, oh, I, I get- you're just like no i really just am like this is like whack now. Like you guys don't even like, <laughs> like this is like you're not even like it just feels like you Man, know, like we talked y'all. about it feels like they're made with like an algorithm. There's no yeah. heart put into it. There's nothing like I'm like I'd either I'd rather see I'd I'd either rather get bully or zodiac. I either want like sure. yeah. that's a high that's a high bar, 
Carmax. Well, I'm just yeah, saying, like, I either true. want like procedural or I want it to be so fucking grimy and disgusting that I'm like, I would never, ever want to revisit this. If you're going to make it grimy, like no matter how grimy a movie like Alpha Dog would be in theory, like any movie that features Justin Timberlake hitting a bong in like a ska, I'm going to keep going back like, to we'll the ska. We'll get there. <laughs> but yeah, like I guess what I'm trying to say is there's a limit to how grimy that movie it's a very it's a bubblegum movie compared to this and yeah and i mean I, I like i think that there's a third option too like i think there's like a to die for like something that is like, yeah, clearly like satirical. funny yeah yeah, yeah, yeah. sure, sure yeah because like, i also yeah. think that like there there probably could be like a gus van sant to die for-esque version of this movie that's like kind of funny well i think elephant's also a really good even though it's not a true crime movie i do think that's a really really good depiction of like teenage violence elephant is also kind of about how teenage violence exists in a void until it doesn't anymore. Mm-hmm. Both movies are kind of detached. They sort of like neither one forces the viewer's hand on how to feel about the characters. Whereas like there's a point during Alpha Dog where it's like, yeah, this is a fucking melodrama now. Yeah. Yeah. Also, the funniest thing too is that when they're driving to go kill him, <laughs> Rachel Miner says to Leo, Leo Fitzpatrick's like, all right, so what's up with this guy? <laughs> Everyone keeps saying they're like, all right, so what's the deal with this guy? And Rachel Miner's like, he doesn't even allow Bobby to see his own family, or he doesn't allow Marty to see his own family. And Leo Fitzpatrick just goes, that sucks. This motherfucker definitely deserves to die. <laughs> also, Leo Fitzpatrick, Leo Fitzpatrick has a thick lisp. He does. Which just makes some of his line readings uh, towards the end kind of almost like accidentally. We just killed somebody. (laughs) We just want him to be on the same page. (laughs) He's like a lisping white boy gangster who operates out of a garage with a bunch of Like I said, that could easily be a dark comedy about some loser who's posturing as a gang member who gets involved with a murder and is like, oh shit. Oh shit. (laughs) This went too far. (laughs) This motherfucker definitely definitely deserves to die. But yeah, I mean, before we move on, I will just say like, you know, we talked about it before, Nick, but like the last 15 minutes of this movie are incredible i want to i honestly think that the ending of this movie is one of the best endings i've ever seen in anything as far as like the genre and what it is i think it's one of the most powerful endings Mm -hmm. well yeah because also you've seen this before right like it's like the chickens come home to roost and the people who did the crime get what they had coming so on some level we've seen it but the fact that it's so powerful really is a testament to filmmaking the acting just everything that's kind of come before it i guess and also he does a good job on like alpha dog of showing you the downfall watching it now like it makes my heart race a little fast like yeah it it definitely makes me feel Mm -hmm. and you know what's coming but it still has that effect yeah it's still and i think it's it is a testament to the the grittiness and the the way that larry clark shoots it and and the use of that fat boy slim song and how it just Uh, culminates and it builds incredible like it's i will say that is the best use of fat boy slim ever put in a movie but <laughs> all right no but i think just even showing them at the end and their freeze yeah. frames on them and then the, which is uh, another thing that's like that could be that corny but rote. it's so yeah. good right it's exactly so good, it should though. feel right just like to see to it's like yeah the character development is so great that like when you see like that this these people like some of them like the Bijou Phillips character just like that's it man like yeah there's yeah. nothing else left yeah you just you're in jail and well, that sense of, of- jail except for so Wait, brad who? renfro leo fitzpatrick and michael pitt's characters in real life are the only ones that are still in jail everyone else is out of jail the girls are wait even the rachel might even She's out. i don't 
fucking get that shit. It's like, it was her idea. That character's tough. It's like, even when you read the real de- the details of the crime, you're like, can't figure out if she is masterminding this, if she is just so broken. Guys, she just wants a boyfriend. <laughs> <laughs> On the, the, Let her go. the worst defense attorney. Listen, she just wanted some dick. <laughs> she wanted a boyfriend. She just wanted a hug. Guess so. <laughs> I'm surprised that she's out, honestly. That's what also is like so fascinating too about this is that it speaks to the endless cycle of this. Like they bring a daughter yeah. in the world. The daughter grows up with this and grows up on the internet. So she has right. all this access to this and knowing who her parents are. I mean, yeah, that's the tragedy is all those people were somebody's child. You know, they've all, some of them have gone on to have children. Like it's not like their lives begin and end where the movie bully begins yeah. and ends. Mm-hmm. But like Courtney was saying, these characters just don't think more than a day ahead. So like, that's the tragedy, right? Is that they're all just like living exclusively for the thrill of the moment. But yeah, like you said, Max, the It doesn't cycles- even feel like the thrill of the moment. It just like, they need something to do in the same way right yeah. no that's well said yeah and like that's what that's what's spooky is like they want something to do and then like one of those things becomes murder this week listen i remember not ever thinking or talking I was like, murdering <laughs> somebody <laughs> okay, but cool. i remember freshman year we killed that <laughs> no i just you know you hang out and like especially for me like i was a high school dropout and i hung out with other high school dropouts and you're smoking weed and doing drugs and fucking just sitting around and like days just it feel it feels like what life feels like now, but except you're just in this haze of like days blurring together. Mm-hmm. I think this movie captures that really well. Just oh yeah, the way the days are blurring together, and you just have no sense of reality after a while. What do you want to do it with a gun for? I don't know. It just seemed like the easy way to do it. Yeah, well, I think you need to chill out and plan this out a little better. No, I want it done now. God damn it! I, I want this son of a bitch dead. I want a sorry ass dead tonight. Do you understand me? All right, look, maybe I can help you out, but I don't know. You know, first, you guys need to get some weapons and shit. Maybe you think about playing this out a little better. Then, when you get all that done, then you can come see me. I have a window around the rear. You can just come by and wrap a little lightly, you know? I'll be there. Like a signal, right? Like, um, like in Tom Sawyer. <laughs> They're my normal supplies, they, they don't want to help out with this shit. So uh, maybe I'll just come and supervise, I don't know. But either way, you still got a weapons phone. So yeah, 55%. A.O. Scott of the New York Times said, <laughs> Some of his detractors have called Mr. Clark a pornographer, but this is an insult to honest smut peddlers who treat their subjects with more respect than he does. <laughs> Okay, wow. buddy. Let's see. Emmanuel Levy said, Clark is not a moralist, which is good, but he is not much of a dramatist either. You get the impression that the fascination with youth in his movies, just like in his photos, provides an excuse for voyeurism. Hmm. That's not totally off base. I think he genuinely is just drawn to that, which is like, I don't know. It's a difficult thing where you're like, yeah, he's old, so it makes it fucking weird. Yeah, I think I'm not saying he uh, he did the same things as Michael Jackson, but I think it's the same thing where he like he just doesn't think of himself as any older than those kids. It's ignorant. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Larry Thank Clark you. being interviewed about it. It's ignorant. <laughs> Stop. Doodoo hit. <laughs> Uh, Eric Harrison of the Houston Chronicle said Clark pokes his lenses where they don't belong and though the actresses both are 21 they look young enough that the film edges uncomfortably close to child pornography. Basically every bad review was like this is child, child pornography. pornography. Yeah, Sean Axemaker of the Seattle Post Intelligencer. Interesting. Feels like a peek into the closet of a pedophile and it's genuinely disturbing. <laughs> 
and not for the reasons the film should be. <laughs> Whoa! Uh, uh, the New York Post said, a truly repulsive piece of trash that says far more about the absence of values from contemporary filmmaking than the waywardness of teens. And that was Come an on. F. That was an yeah. F review. Last bad review comes from Armin White, baby. Nice. Oh, this is tight. This is tight. Armin White said, a regressive film that mixes a lurid gay sensibility with fake seriousness and sham realism. Clark exploits the implicit social failures of working class life. Sneakily enthralled by marginalization, he presents the frustrations of adolescent sexual confusion and timidity with a pedophile's drool. It's his Columbine wet dream. Wow. Damn, Armand Domenes. I love that guy. <laughs> love that yeah, guy. I mean, it's always good to hear. You're going down, baby. And then a positive review that I do want to talk about is Roger Ebert. Roger Ebert gave this movie an A. He was a huge defender of it at the time, and I think he wrote a really great piece on it. He said, Larry Clark's bully calls the bluff of movies that pretend to be about murder, but are really about entertainment. His film mm. has all the sadness and shabbiness, all the mess and cruelty and thoughtless stupidity of the real thing. The movie is brilliantly and courageously well acted by its young cast. It's one of those movies so perceptive and wounding that there's no place for the actors to hide no cop out they can exercise their characters bleed with banality and stupid dope reasoning some critics have attacked clark as a dirty old man with a suspect relationship to his material if this film had been directed by a 25 year old some of these same critics might be hailing it i believe bully is a masterpiece on its own terms a frightening indictment of a society that offers absolutely nothing to some of its children and an indictment of the children who lack the imagination and courage to try to escape bobby and his killers deserve one another so well written. Yeah. Yeah, it's a really great review. He really got Larry Clark too. I think a lot of like critics of the time, even critics who didn't like kids, like Ebert was, he was down. I'm horny. I get it. <laughs> <laughs> he said that, he says that to Larry Clark at a press conference. Listen, I'm horny. Cut me in on this. Come on. So yeah, this movie was made for two million, but it was like basically a huge, huge. The producers clearly did not want to make the movie. They wanted to back out of it after they had already kind of committed to it. The director was supposed to have 40 days to shoot the film, and then he had 30 days. And then right before production was to start, the co-producer of the film told him that he would have 20 days, Jesus. which is hard. That's a really hard shoot. And Larry Clark said he's a real idiot. He says we only have 23 days. I start thinking they don't want me to make this movie, but I said fuck you. I'm gonna make this movie. He said that they never watched. It. He basically said that to speed up process they never watched dailies and never saw a frame of what we were shooting i never saw anything until we were in the editing room which is i think adds to the movie it's like when you have that mm -hmm. little of time to make something and that little of money and you have to kind of go for broke with it i think that helps it do you know who were considered an audition for the role of marty oh god I don't know. Like, I can't. I don't know. Well, Ashton Kutcher auditioned for the lead role. Oh, shit. He said, while the director liked him, he said he was all wrong for the part. Yeah. Yeah, that would have been a very different movie. You're going to uh, get... We're going to punk my boy. <laughs> <laughs> we're going to kill him. Um, so then the person who was actually given the part by Larry Clark, but couldn't at the time get the movie financed was Jake Gyllenhaal. I knew oh. that, actually. Yeah, so he's, Larry Clark... He's uh, boys with Larry Clark. Yeah, so Larry Clark said, so Jake is a teenager, so he's not a name yet. I wanted to cast him. I said to Jake, I want you to have the role. He came to my loft, and we hung, we hung out. Mm -hmm. <laughs> Uh-oh. Uh, Jake's great to this day. They wouldn't cast him, and Brad Renfro's name came up, and I saw the movie At Pupil, and I say, wow, this is great. So they say no to Jake and yes to Brad. So I told Jake, and he said, God damn it, I lose every role to Brad Renfro. Mm -hmm. Brad Renfro was arrested for stealing a yacht. So then one last little tidbit is that, yeah, so another cancelable offense for Bijou Phillips is in 2018 Daniel Francesi who plays uh, cousin Derek in the movie who's also in Mean Girls revealed that Bijou Phillips had been extremely cruel to him 
and it subjected him to a lot of homophobic and fat shaming bullying while they were on the set, saying that she kept trying to goad him into admitting that he was gay years before he came out as much and that he and that she laughed at his appearance when he removed his shirt at a pool party and even twisted one of his nipples. He also said that the oh producers God, looked monster. the other way and allowed her behavior to continue because she came from a famous family and was basically bankrolling the movie. However, Francesi did Ugh. note did note that Michael Pitt, Brad Renfro, and Nick Stahl all repeatedly and vocally stood up for him and called Phillips out on her behavior. Stahl even repeatedly convincing her to apologize. Oh. Good to know. The lesson is fuck Bijou Phillips. Yeah. The boys. It seems really like she doesn't together. have a career and she's married to that fuckhead. So. Yeah, she's married to a rapist who's probably going to jail. And um, But it was nice to hear that those guys came forward and were like, fuck you. If you could recast anyone in Bully, who would you recast? I don't know. Nobody. No one. Yeah, I, don't, I wouldn't even recast Bijou Phillips because I think she's fucking great in the part. Yeah, I think she's really good in it. Who's the MVP of Bully? I don't know, dude. It's tough. I was really I do torn. think Bijou Phillips is really good, but apparently she was a fucking... I think she's good. I don't think she's the MVP, but I think she's... I like Rachel I... Miner a lot. Yeah, I'm torn between Rachel Miner and Nick Stahl. Yeah. I'm going to go ahead and say Brad Renfro. He's great. Yeah, he's, he's good. He's very good. Everyone's good, so Everyone's yeah. really... It's a great, great ensemble. I think I'm sticking with Renfro. Yeah, and I don't know. Just why... I think Nick Stahl, he does some really, really, really interesting stuff here. I don't know if this movie would still be rotten today because I don't know what this movie looks like in 2021. Yeah, I think if this movie came out the way it is now in 2021, it would be rotten. But if they had kind of made the requisite tweaks to make it more woke or like more simplistic morally, it would probably not be rotten. I, I, I'm surprised that it is rotten. Like the whole time I was watching it, like I was like, I'm surprised this is a rotten movie. Final rating. I'm going to go future cult classic. I don't do the fucking masterpiece one very often. I really save it. It's like, it's like oh, birthday yeah. anal. It's like very rare. <laughs> <laughs> I think bully. I agree with Roger Ebert. I think on its own terms, it's a masterpiece. I think for what it's trying to do, mm -hmm. I don't think there's really anything better than this as far as the subgenre of teen true crime. Because I think even River's Edge is, is really great, but it's far more of a cult movie. River's Edge is fucking great. River's Edge is <laughs> great, okay. but it's also like a straight up comedy at times. And like Bully but, is is like, I, I think Bully knows just how to do true crime. It's just, mm -hmm. it's violent. River's Edge also like was that movie for a whole generation of kids yeah. who are like slightly older than Max and myself. So like Bully... Bully was that, I think, for our generation. I got to say, Bully rocked my fucking world when I first saw it. <laughs> yeah. And it's it's still fucking brutal. So, yeah. Still I'm gonna, rocking I'm gonna, you? Yeah. Still rocking me, Courtney. It's still rocking me. <laughs> it really does. I'm going to go. I'm going to go with Max. And I think this is, yeah, a masterpiece completely. These weren't bad kids. These weren't kids who grew up playing Little League together. They grew up in beautiful homes. They were living what's rapidly becoming the young person's rap version of the American dream. Yo, Johnny, isn't that the brother of the guy who owes you money? Are you kidding me? Hello. Hey, 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 what's up? I didn't do anything. You want to know what this is all about? You could say it's about drugs or guns or uh, bad decisions, whatever you like. But this whole thing is about taking care of your children. Everybody's looking at life. Goddamn. Life. I didn't want to lose him as a friend. I didn't want any trouble. Did you fucking take him home? Yes, I dropped him off in Pomona. Fucking liar. I dropped him off, okay? You better get yourself a good fucking lawyer, thank you. We do this for 
right, the whole thing goes away. Like a bad dream that fades away until sooner or later. And you don't even remember it anymore. I want my baby back. I did it, all right. I ordered it, and now he's dead. So Alpha Dog, well, like Bully, it's a true story. Unlike Bully, they use equally absurd, but fake names to the real people. It also replaces the San Fernando Valley for the San Gabriel Valley, which we talked about, which is ridiculous. Alpha Dog tells the story of Johnny True Love, AKA Jesse James Hollywood. I don't know what's a worse name, played by Emil Hirsch. He basically just runs a, uh, a drug ring out of his uh, nice house in the valley where he bullies and harasses his friends like Elvis, played by Sean Hattesey, and his kind of right-hand man, Frankie Ballenbacher, played by Justin Timberlake. His first big breakout role. He also has Ben Foster's character, Jake Mazzucci, who is a Jewish Nazi skinhead. Jake owes Johnny money. Not that much money, but he owes no, him money. not he that him, much money. He owes him shockingly low sum. He owes him $1,200, which I guess could be technically inflated when you think he about it. He owes him a stimulus the, check. The, 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 he owes him a <laughs> stimulus check. He owes him what the U.S. government thinks we should have, but he cannot get him the stimulus check. He cannot produce the money. Jake is also a drug addict and a meth head and clearly far crazier than Johnny and his crew of rich wannabe thugs. After Johnny finds out that Jake cannot pay him this money, a beef ensues that involves nunchucks and a battle through a glass window. <laughs> it's insane. There's kind of like a back and forth retaliation. Johnny shows up at Jake's girlfriend's work, ditches the bill. In return, Jake destroys his house with an axe. He breaks in with a pickaxe and then takes a shit on his floor. This is all real, actually. That actually did happen. That guy did break his door in with a pickaxe and take a shit on his floor, to which I would probably think, maybe I shouldn't fuck with this guy. So that happens. Johnny gets Jake fired from his job by calling his parole officer and having him take a drug test. And then things really get out of hand when Johnny, Frankie, and their token Mexican friend kidnap Jake's little brother, Zach, played by Anton Yelkin. They throw him into a van, not thinking about what happens next. And over the course of the next 48 hours, they party with Zach, give him drugs, hang out. Everything seems fine until it becomes clear to Johnny that he could be facing life in prison for kidnapping. Sharon Stone plays Zach's mother. She's worried sick. She's putting missing posters up looking for her son. Faced with this predicament, Johnny and his crew do what any sensible young adult would do, which <laughs> is hatch a plan to murder a 15-year-old because the brother owes them $1,200. And that's Alpha Dog. In both of these movies, it seems like the characters who decide to murder, like, don't think about ever getting caught. And it's like, of course you get caught. Like, most people get caught. Everyone like gets caught. Why wouldn't you? Yeah. But I yeah, mean, it's this movie is also like very explicit, like even to like, I would argue like a fault of like, there's that whole thing where like, like I never really had a phase where like I was infatuated with hip hop culture to the point where like thought I was black, but I trust me, I knew plenty of kids that were, there is that thing where like rich sheltered white kids fetishize like yeah. certain elements of the hip hop thing, like the aspirational thing of it and sure. thinking like, well, I can be hard too. Like, cause a lot of rap is like theater a lot of it is not totally real like there's even like dude so there's this there's the music video in the first 20 minutes of the movie i have to hold on i wrote down what it's called i think it's it's called 
Guns and bitches. Gangsta, guns and bitches by gangsters and hoes or something. I think it's just gangsters. Gangsters in the hood by gangsters and bitches, directed by Simon Bayer. So this that was the thing. It's actually Samuel Bayer. It's not Simon. Oh. Bayer, I knew the name sounded familiar, but I was like, who's Simon Bayer? It's Samuel Bayer, who was a real music video director. Interesting. So he was a real music yeah, video but, director in the '90s, and then he directed the Nightmare on Elm Street remake. But Definitely. yeah, this movie is like way more explicit in terms of drawing that parallel of like these kids are all kind of living in their own private version of a rap video or as a deleted scene from the movie because there are many deleted scenes from this movie um, that should have made it in because they're far better than some of the things that were left in courtney cox was originally in the movie as what? an fbi agent who took down johnny true love in one of her lines she says they were living the mtv american dream i had never seen this movie before and i think like what i think is the most curious thing about it is like how it sort of sporadically pretends to be a documentary yeah, right. yeah, like yeah. a talking head thing because it doesn't do it for a lot of the movie like it sets it up like that a little bit with bruce willis who i also didn't know was in this movie and then forgets about it for a long time like until like the plot is really going and then once there has been murder then it sort of brings brings it back and I found that to be distracting and weird. Yeah, the, the documentary yeah, it's not stuff committed is, to that. Is, is very sporadic. It's also, there was more of it that was not in That the makes movie. sense. There was a yeah. lot more of it that they cut out and I think the ones that they cut out are actually better. There was one with Sean Hattesey's character, Elvis, being interviewed in prison. They cut that out. It's a big, big ensemble. You have a lot of, at the time, up and coming young actors who are still a lot of them working. Emile Hirsch, who was coming off like The Girl Next Door. And Fucking Amanda Seyfried again. Yeah, Amanda Seyfried, Olivia Wilde, Amber Heard. Justin Timberlake in his first really like serious role, which is kind of what the movie was. Besides the controversy of the real story, that's kind of what the movie was known as when it was coming out. It's like, oh, mm -hmm. this is Justin Timberlake being serious. And it's basically like we're going to put tattoos on this guy, which is interesting because in real life, the real guy, Jesse Ruggie, looks like Justin Timberlake in a way, but more like in his NSYNC days. He looks like a uh... kind of innocent teeny bopper, doesn't have tattoos or anything like that. I understand the need to maybe be like, OK, Justin Timberlake is in this. So we have to like we have to make him, him look different. Yeah. At the same time, I would have been like, just don't cast Justin Timberlake. I don't and like I, I know that I said up at the top of this movie that I wish he was dead instead of Anton Yelchin. <laughs> That's I don't every review of this movie. <laughs> no, but like I actually don't hate him as an actor all the time. Like I, I think he can be good. I think that he's somebody who like I mean, I, I I've seen Justin Timberlake in concert. Like I I've saw him off of future sex love sounds. I just think that he's like one of those people that like almost overnight, I was like, I don't like you anymore. I mean, it was overnight yeah. after that Super Bowl performance and like that stupid record that he put out where he wore some more different kinds of hat. I know that yeah. it's called like Man in the Woods. I'm pretending like yeah, they don't, Man but in they the woods. do. There you go. I think his performance is 50-50 in this. I think it's half really bad and half solid. Like, I think it, he has solid moments. The yeah. lighter, more comedic moments, I think he's better in because that's just kind of his essence that he gives off. And I think, yeah, this and Social Network are probably the best that Justin Timberlake's going to get as an actor. I think Pop he's star, good in Inside Lewin Davis, yeah. too. I don't love him in Inside Lewin Davis, but he is solid in it. I don't think the Coen brothers are Oh, I love him. him in that movie. He's great. He's good, he's he's better good than in it. And it needs, it need, like, it, it's one that actually needs him to be a pop performer, so... Yeah, so know. much like of him. Justin Timberlake as an actor, like, it all comes down to casting, right? Because, like, yeah. I don't know. Yeah, we, In Time is awful. Well, it's this weird thing where he's, like, he's a singer and an entertainer primarily. He's not, like, billed specifically as one of those guys who's a double or a triple threat or who can do it all so i remember even like his first couple performances that were like decent people were like oh he can act but 
Max kind of hit it on the head. He has a lighter screen presence, which is it's his voice. And, yeah, yeah, and it's, his and it's the think, same thing that's an asset to him as a singer is just not an asset to him as an actor in a lot of parts. Because I think that because his character in this movie is the one that I think that you have to also. He's also I, I feel like the audience surrogate because yeah, he's like the he's the one who realizes first that like they're going to kill this fucking kid and he doesn't want to when he does like I do think that he's yeah I think he's good half of the time so personally i think watching it this time it had been a while since i saw this movie but watching it this time i really i think that it's actually a fatal flaw of the movie that they make him that they try to make him be the kind of moral compass of the movie Mm -hmm. i think it's a huge huge flaw in real life that guy did tell him like you know he did kind of give him an opportunity to run away the kid did have plenty of chances to leave as you can tell he didn't because he didn't obviously no he thought he was like having fun he thought it was yeah, a I don't know if I would party I but think I, this movie's really frustrating also because like Anton Yelchin is in it and he's obviously really great already at this point it's just like you could always feel it like almost becoming a movie that I would like better <laughs> and so like that's why it's fucking annoying yeah this movie is incredibly frustrating at least for me because I this was a movie that like I was at the right age when the first trailer came out i was god i was 17 and so when i saw the trailer for Mm -hmm. it it was like a promo trailer that came out that's like a little bit longer it was a promo trailer that was used to help them get some sort of like distribution deal there's like green screen in the trailer there's a bunch of deleted scenes that clearly aren't in the movie but it makes it look like a much better movie than it's going to be then i started reading about the real story and then the movie got caught up in lawsuits for a year because the real jesse james hollywood was arrested right after they wrapped production on this so then they had to go back and change a bunch of shit they had to add on that stupid last shot i was gonna say that makes sense because that last shot it's so fucking dumb it's horrible horrible. it kind of yeah it kind of fucks the whole movie I was very excited for it because I thought it was a really fascinating story because I felt, you know, like Nick and I have talked about, like I felt connected to it in a way where I was like, you know, I'm slightly younger than them, but I grew up in a very similar environment. My friends are definitely more similar to these people than the characters in Bully. Like mm-hmm. I definitely knew these people. I was very fascinated by the case. So it really touched on like my love of true crime and just, you know, my age group and like where I was from and everything. So when I saw it, I think I was like inevitably disappointed by it. I didn't think it was bad, but then... Uh, Obviously, as time has gone on, I I think there's a lot of parts of this that are really bad. But that is the most frustrating part of this movie is that there is a fucking really good movie buried in here. Yeah. So I should mention that I had the good fortune to know and be friends with Anton while he was alive. I, I met him in probably like summer that this movie came out or the summer of 2006, because I remember the last thing. I remember the first thing that I remember seeing him in after I started hanging out with him was Charlie Bartlett. But Mm -hmm. there is this thing that um, Anton had in real life that he brings to this movie, which is because I remember the first couple times I met him, I didn't, it didn't register with me. I was, I wasn't like, you're this guy because Mm -hmm. at the time he was definitely a person who was visible, but he just had a tendency as a person to kind of blend into whatever situation he was in. Particularly my friends are like very big personalities and Anton in real life was a very kind of pensive, quiet, funny guy, but like, you know, not a huge personality. And there is that thing in this movie too, where he's kind of the centrifugal focus of it. Like no matter what else is happening in the movie in terms of like, you know, colorful personalities, crime movie plot developments or whatever, his character, the innocence of his character and the purity of his character, like it grounds a lot of stuff in the movie that doesn't totally work. 
And, yeah, like that scene that he has when he's just like describing how his mom, played by Sharon Stone, it like that her affection for him feels almost like oppressive. That's I think that's one of the better scenes in the movie because it has the two best actors in the movie playing off each other. When he goes to see Ben Foster's character, who's his half brother, you know, I wasn't friends with Anton, but I'd met him a couple times and obviously was friends with people who were friends with him. And he just seemed like a really sweet, good kid. It, obviously is really a lot harder to watch the movie now especially since he's passed yeah. away and especially that death scene which is already hard to watch because he's really good in it like he is yeah really he's really good in it that scene almost comes close to working in a movie that like i think yeah, it I mean, would work if it wasn't so clearly shot on a green screen yeah because yes. like i like when like the, uh, the hikers come down it's like well that's when this trope that you that like the director like forgets about for most of the film like i'm like oh this is when it could come sort of in handy also like these people are stupid you should immediately like bail <laughs> oh yeah on- if i was the chris marquette character i'd have been like cool there or if i was even the kid i would have been like see i think that's the problem with the movie is nick has doesn't bully does a good job of justifying or at least authentically portraying a scene where you're like in other hands you would have been like wait why did this happen mm-hmm. how did this happen and alpha dog you're constantly left thinking like wait a second what even though that's how it happened yeah it doesn't do a good job conveying how it happened you're just like this is unbelievable and i know it's real but even the the staging of that scene yeah the death scene is like it, it's half good and it's mostly on anton yelkin's performance in that scene i mean all the actors are, are good in that scene but yeah like justin timberlake's just fine in that scene he's fine i i think that justin timberlake is is playing the the scene as an outsider as opposed to the character he's judging yeah. it from the outside and saying like okay i need to be morally like strong here yes yeah as yeah, opposed yeah to in real life the guy did tell him as he duct taped him i would never hurt you he did say that but he i don't buy justin timberlake saying it and doing what he's doing the action and that's and that's the way it shows you how difficult this material can be it's so hard to just get right in that pocket of like watching somebody telling a kid like reassuring him i'm not going to kill you or hurt mm-hmm. you and knowing what's going to happen and justin Timberlake's just not there as an actor to give you what's happening internally whereas anton can give you everything well then please move please, please i didn't just do shut it. the fuck up Come on. relax Freaky, Freaky. Relax, buddy. Freaky. Relax, okay? It's Freaky. not what you think, okay? Yeah, it is. Freaky. Please, I thought we were boys. We are boys. Freaky, there's nobody up there. Nobody is picking me up. Yes, there is, okay? Just stop freaking out. Freaky, Freaky, you promise? We are boys. Look, little man, you gotta yeah. calm down, all right? Okay? Okay. Everybody's nervous, all right? <laughs> even with Nick Cassavetti's direction, even with the, I want to say, top five worst music supervision of all time, it's <laughs> horrible music. Ugh. That is the most yeah. offensive crime of this movie is the music supervision. All that remains intact, but you replace Emile Hirsch and Justin Timberlake, I think you have a better movie. Yeah, I think Emile Hirsch to me was like more distracting because I don't even get like the weird like kitsch pleasure of being like, oh, that's right. JP. There is there is something like pleasurable like knowing where he comes from, but like Emile yeah. Hirsch is just like a fuck. And so that I just never enjoy. I've never so. thought Emile Hirsch was a good actor outside of Prince Avalanche, but he, and he looks the part. That's the problem is that when you look at him, you're like, okay, mm-hmm. you should work in this part. But he- I just- sort of wrestled with his casting too, because 
like on one i've i've seen this movie a couple times now and every time i've seen it my takeaway is it's a bad performance and emil hirsch is not a good actor and this time i watched it and i was like well this guy is not hard he's not tough he's like a pathetic shitty white boy loser who thinks he's tough and in that regard maybe emil hirsch is at least good casting because he's so unlikable and Mm. maybe he could be compelling as someone who makes the tragic error of thinking that they are more merciless than they are that Mm -hmm. said like max was saying those two performances are the crux of the movie and if they don't totally work then the movie doesn't totally work and i think jt jt kind of came into his own as an actor after this this is early on and like he's doing he's doing his best i think given like a very limited direction i'm sure i don't even know if i can chalk emile hirsch's performance up to no, that Emil, that's the thing bad. is emile hirsch should know better and he should be a better actor in this movie because knowing people like that he just doesn't there's a charisma that i think even yeah. nick Stahl has in bully as fucked up yeah. as it is but emile hirsch has no charisma in this movie he's a blank slate and you can literally see him in scenes as an actor you can see the fucking gears grinding in his head where he's like you can see him as an actor trying to wrestle with what his decision is and you're mm-hmm. like okay this is really bad whereas like Sean Hattesey has a really great moment I think early on when they're partying at the house which I think are some of the better moments where they're like you love Johnny like why don't you suck his yeah, dick where they're roasting. and Sean Hattesey yeah. is really good in that scene he really like yeah. I get who that guy is in that scene and I'm like I know you and you can see the shame and just how torn that character is. Emile Hirsch has to be charismatic enough so that we buy, like, obviously this dude is like making money off of like drug sales or whatever and can keep people on his payroll. But like Max was saying, he has to be charismatic enough so that you believe that all these little white boy gangsters or whatever Mm -hmm. would like basically answer to him. And I just, I never bought that. Like there's a control that a guy like that has that's not even just financial. I've known people like that and there is just something about them that is magnetic in a way that you can't quite put your finger on. even when you know like this is a horrible person you keep coming back to them there's just something it is like being a relationship and he doesn't have that i think as someone who has known those people it's it's the allure of being around danger and knowing that like for instance if it's a person who can throw down and get in a fight or whatever and has your back like it's that idea of like we're gonna do some it's that young dumb male impulse of like we're gonna do some crazy shit that's the thing with this and bully is like it doesn't get much deeper than that especially the thing too i think that would have made that character more interesting too is like the way that nick Stahl's character is kind of darkly funny and bully is like yeah i don't know like i think about friends that i had like that and like as fucked up as they were there was something funny about them where you were like as long as it's not being put on me and i mm-hmm. am not the target you're of not their... the recipient of exactly yeah. and that's what's i think i think a really hard thing to kind of portray in those movies is the constantly shifting hierarchy in those groups of friends yeah. and how it's like you know what as long as i'm not the target i can laugh mm-hmm. at this but as soon as you are you know you just kind of are weakened by it I think they could if they would have made the Emil Hirsch character funny at least or yeah. given him something charismatic about him I would have bought him more yeah because he's the person that like is calling the shots that like says that we're gonna fucking kill this kid and it's just like at that point I'm just like it, it I could ne- with this movie I could never fully immerse myself and be like this is not Emil Hirsch telling Justin Timber like I was yeah. not and, and it was just like nah like I, I, 
like, no, like Justin would just be like, no. Yeah. Like, I, so you're saying you you weren't like able to forget that you were watching movie stars, basically. And it wasn't, yeah. and it wasn't, it's not because Justin Timberlake is Justin Timberlake either. It just, yeah, exactly. It felt like I was watching movie stars and like, yeah, everything with like Anton Yelchin and you know, like that really sweet scene that him and like Amanda Seyfried have in the pool. Like I liked that scene. I like that moment. The female characters in this movie are... <laughs> Olivia Wilde is just... Oh, I wrote down all of Olivia Wilde's dialogue is about fucking being drunk or wanting to suck her boyfriend's cock. Yeah. Bully knows that that character, the character that's like searching for fun and sex is the Bijou Phillips character. And and, and they right. and like Bully has enough like wherewithal to know that like that person is actually lost. And this movie seems mm. to really believe that Olivia Wilde just wants to suck dick. Yeah, it seems like she It's like, like she's a Roomba it. and, yeah. and her... <laughs> I mean, her final... You, isn't her final scene like yes. it's her and Emil, her Yeah, and she's like, you can't even fuck me, right? And then I looked at the runtime and they kill him an hour and about 40 minutes into the movie. And then it's over 10 minutes later. Once again, it's like the same thing. Going back to the bully ending, it's just like, no, I want to see how these people unravel, at least. I want to see how they come undone. And you don't get any insight into that. I know that for Mm -hmm. legal reasons, they had to cut a lot of those scenes. There's a scene that Emil Hirsch actually looks genuinely good in where his dad is helping him get on a boat to leave the country. Oh, so that's like more. So they, they make it more explicit. Yeah, that's interesting. interesting. And I think for legal reasons, they had to take that out. But in the scene, it's Emil Hirsch yelling at his dad and saying like, yeah, I did it. I ordered it. And now he's dead and I don't care. And he looks good in the scene, actually. It looks like probably the best acting he's done. And there's a whole scene of them and Bruce Willis being torn with what to do and like hugging his son goodbye and watching him leave on this boat. And it's all out of the movie. It's all gone. So there was a lot more, I think, of the downfall of it. The Lucas Haas character was a bigger character. He's so lived in and specific in that really small part I was watching it I was like there's gotta be more of that dude mm-hmm. there the is yeah there's there's a lot that's why it's like the, what he decides to show and not show is really frustrating the one scene that I think is I literally had to fast forward through it this time because I had seen it before and also I just couldn't look at it is the scene right after Anton's character is killed and we cut to Sharon Stone in a jarring fat suit I don't know why that made it into this movie because it does feel like yeah. where the previous movie Bully after the murder happens we have to stick around with these kids and like see see like what happens afterwards and it's like this movie decides to put the entire weight on what happened onto this poor mother character like we have to witness her grief in well, order- also like we have no attachment to her at all really no we don't we see her look longingly out of and like listen i love sharon stone but that fat suit is it's, it's making her job harder to do, to it be is, honest. It, like, none dis- of this is on her. It's disguising her performance, which is a really good performance in that scene. And yeah. it's and it that's a scene that should break our hearts. But instead, you're just like, Sharon Stone looks like Eddie Murphy in The Nutty Professor. Yes. What's happening? Like, or she looks like Monica Geller when they make her, yeah, you know. It's like, yeah. it's it's crazy. I'm like, is this fucking Big Mama's house? What's going on right <laughs> now? It does. It does. Yeah, because like, you're right. Like, it's just another thing to like, it's another hurdle to get over. And like, there shouldn't be a hurdle to get over after that scene. You shouldn't have to like absorb that really tragic, awful moment and then be like, oh, you know, thrown into that moment where you see that. Because it's not convincing either. It looks like some SNL shit. No, it's like, yeah. and that's the thing is like, it's what he decides to show and not show. And like in real life, that woman did gain 
a lot of weight and she was institutionalized because she went into a spiral. That was clearly the love of her life. That's her son. It's her only child. And she lost it. She completely fell mm -hmm. apart. Her life was destroyed by that. She did gain a lot of weight, but the fact but who that cares? Nick Cassavetes was like, we got to show that she gained weight is like, okay, well, do we have good prosthetics? No, then maybe we shouldn't show it. And it also it's like, just focusing movie, on she's the not in things. the movie. Yeah, yeah. She's not in the movie enough. No. So it's just really fucking confusing when you finally get to see her again and now she has prosthetics on it's bonk one of you guys Crazy. just hit on it is like it feels punitive where it's like focus on like even like some one of you said it like even if she did gain a bunch of weight is that important and the grief is what's important i mean objectively yeah. that's what matters in the scene and if you throw yeah like a cheap distracting and listen i know we're all fans of sharon stone here i think none of this is her fault like no. she's she's doing the best she can and i don't I think that this movie seen... knows what to do with its biggest stars like i also no. i don't think bruce willis is bad in this movie either but like i it feels like he's in a different movie it feels like he's in the big short version of this <laughs> i gotta say the casting of bruce willis as like a san as a valley weed kingpin who's also like a fixture on like his son's little league circuit is really fucking funny yeah and, it's good casting and, yeah. and also the idea that like and i don't know if this clicked with me until i saw it like a second or third time but like johnny true love takes like weed off his dad's hands and sells it so it's just like kind of another classic case of nepotism but yeah. it's just with weed and not a real exactly job. and there's so much happening in this movie which is why i've continued to maintain that it should have been a miniseries and it could have been a really great miniseries but it's just there's so much happening that he tries to pack in to such yeah. a short amount of time that it's like i can only feel attachment based on the actors this movie is only yeah. as good as what the actors are allowed to do and cassavetti's like i mean he's john cassavetti's son he clearly likes actors i don't think he dislikes actors you can tell that he knows you know how to kind of probably let actors feel comfortable on set and he mm -hmm. probably can get something out of them he just doesn't know when to cap it or to make sure that everybody it doesn't feel like everyone's on the same page and that's the problem it's like you can let your actors loose and let them do what they want but if everybody's not ben foster you're gonna have a problem because ben foster is somebody where it's like okay this guy's gonna show up to set he's gonna know exactly who his character is and i'm gonna just watch him play he's like a joaquin phoenix it's like okay you stand back and you let him do his thing. Ben Foster is just electric. In he's on movie. fire in this movie. He's like, it's an incredible performance. Oh, the movie fizzles when he's not on screen. When he's on screen, you're like, oh, fuck, okay. I and there's it. something about his performance, because like Cassavetes, John Cassavetes, I should say, is one of my favorite directors. He's one of my heroes. Yeah, he he's, that about really, yeah. he's really important to me. And the Ben Foster character feels like a John Cassavetes character. Yeah. In that he's completely mercurial. He has no restraint and doesn't observe boundaries with other people. The early scene with Anton, Ben Foster, and Ben Foster's girlfriend, right after Dave, Ben Foster, and his girlfriend were fucking, and then Anton comes over and they're just kind of hanging out at the table. And yeah. it's a very like loose, naturalistic scene. And it almost feels, I was like, this almost feels like he's like taking whatever symbiosis he soaked up from his dad and putting it to work here. And there are yeah. a couple of other yeah. scenes. No, I think that's that, that scene and, and Ben, I think the best scene in the movie is Ben Foster getting fired from his job because it's a scene oh that God. is funny because on one hand, I'm so like, funny. you know, on one hand, you're like, oh, you could have cut this scene. But at the same time, he it's one of the rare times where he understands the value of just how funny and, and powerful that scene is because of Ben Foster. I mean, he's incredible in the scene. Your probation officer called. That's Mr. Lampington? I thought he was out of town. Yeah, well, I talked to him. He says you've been getting in trouble again. 
Breaking in houses, using drugs. Speed, mainly. It's not true. Yeah, it is. No, it's not. Pete, I swear to God. Dude. Dude! It's... I feel you. I'm right here. Don't look at me that way. I'm telling you the fucking truth. I'm totally fucking straight, man. I mean, I'm a little... I need this job. I need this job. I really need this job. Fill it up. I need this fucking job! The magic of Ben Foster and how great he is, is he can have those big scenes where he gets fired or when he goes into a house party and mm -hmm. dropkicks somebody. But when you <laughs> watch Ben Foster and the scene at the table, when he's listening to his brother talk about how much his mother loves him, he is yeah. unbelievable. His yeah. eyes give you so much in that scene. Like he is just, I, I couldn't, it, that was the one thing I really took away this time was just how good he is in the quiet moments. I, I feel like there's a tendency to associate Ben Foster with those bigger performances performances because he's capable of going there and he's capable of pulling it off. Ben Foster's one of those guys who just like, yeah, he's a, he's like one of the best out there. He's incredible. I, uh, that character, Mazursky, has to, he has to register as like, cause like the Johnny True Love character, like those guys, their whole thing is that they sort of exist in like a consequence free playground of their own making. And then suddenly the Mazursky guy arrives on the scene and it's like, okay, this is the consequence. You guys think you're fucking tough. You sit around all day smoking bong loads and watching fucking gangsters and bitches or whatever. I'm actually the thing you should be afraid of. I mean, goofy as fuck at times in an amazing way, but also authentically very menacing. And that's the most fascinating character in the movie because you're like, as soon as you see a guy as good as Ben Foster show up and the guy's got a Judaic writing on his collarbone and a, and a fucking swastika on his chest, you're like, okay, I need to know about this person. I want to know more about him. Mm -hmm. Who is this guy? And once again, it's like if this was a miniseries, you would have an entire wonderful arc devoted to the hypocrisy and just the what it took for this guy to go from who he was as a child to what he became. What does that look like as a jewish person i'm i'm pretty skeptical of the trope of like the jew who's secretly a nazi like in that way i don't <laughs> think the is well, that like, a trope I, is that in like well, enough like, thing no I'll that's a real question no i know it's 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 far from an ubiquitous trope but like I'll give you an example. Like I rewatched The Believer a couple of years ago, and oh, I've never just, seen that. It's a great performance from Ryan Gosling. It's a completely like, from my perspective, just a phony, like histrionic, uninteresting story. The real guy, I think Markowitz was his name, right, Max? Yeah. The real guy basically grew up in a sort of well-to-do middle-class West Hills Jewish community, right. and becoming a Nazi was his way of, unfortunately rebelling against kind of the comfortable middle-class trappings that his parents instilled onto him. My favorite story that I read about him when I was researching this is how the real Ben Foster character arrived at his little brother's bar mitzvah in like a tricked out Cadillac lowrider, like shit face drunk and just yeah. like insisted that he basically interrupt the bar mitzvah to like take his little brother on a ride with him. Yeah, it's like, it's stuff like that, that it's like, that's what I want to see more of. Because yeah. it's like the stuff in Bully. It's like, I just want to watch their lives so that I can feel more of a personal connection to what's happening on screen. Mm -hmm. Those things are far more interesting than the kind of monotonous, like, partying that we see where it's just like, okay, I get it. I understand. Yeah, they don't seem party. like fun parties anymore. It's no. like 
a party that makes you want to go to bed. I do want to talk about the period detail, which I think is really weird, too. The real crime took place in the summer of 2000. And in the movie, it's supposed to be like the fall of 1999. This movie does not look like 1999. Nobody in this movie is dressed like it's 1999. They are dressed like it's 2005. Yeah. Yeah. They really they're playing Xbox in one scene. Like, it's just lazy. I didn't realize that it was supposed to be 1999, honestly. I don't think I knew. You would have never known unless they told you that. Yeah, Yeah. Okay. The things that you really can chalk up to, I think, Nick Cassavetes as a director in this movie is the fact that there is no thought put into making this movie look like it's 1999 and the fact that two things that really make me question him as a human being he was more involved in making this movie with cooperation from Jack Hollywood Jesse James Hollywood's dad who at the time wait really knew where his son was but he had not been caught yet so that is just like a true fact yeah so he was that was his way into the story he befriended Jack Hollywood that was his main source and I think you can kind of tell in the movie he tries to humanize Johnny True Love and that whole situation and I think not the right way but I mean there shouldn't be any attempt to humanize him no it, it, it should be up to the actor it should be the actor should humanize oh him. yeah you know what I mean but it's, sure. it, but and Emil Hirsch is not a likable person so he's not going to that and we talked about the horrible music supervision but something I didn't piece uh, together okay. until this time and it was really I think it has to be intentional because it's too stupid not to be it's just despicable in my opinion so so in real life, and they do it in the movie too, the kid was killed with a Tech 9 semi-automatic weapon. Yeah, that was really shocking. Yeah, because I thought it would be a weird choice if it was a choice and not just what No, 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 they happened. shot him with a Tech 9 semi-automatic, which is horrifying. And the fact that they also, I don't know, the fact that the scene screen screen, they hold, they show a shot of his body getting lit up with bullets. It's clearly CGI too. It's just weird. But the music in the movie, the most consistently used artist in the movie is the rapper Tech 9 who is not a good rapper. And (laughs) first of all, you're using shitty rap music that also is not period appropriate, but you're also using a rapper named Tech 9 when the kid was killed by a Tech 9. I'm just like, I'm sorry. Yeah, that's a bad look. That has to be intentional. If it wasn't, right? you're just an idiot. Like, yeah, is, Tech I mean, Nine, is Tech Nine, like, from that area? No, right? He's, like, from... No. I want to okay. say he's from the Bay. I don't think he's... Yeah. He's definitely not from gives the a family. fuck about Tech Nine, too? Like, what? <laughs> Was he really popular then? Like... Tech Nine used to play in my college town of Santa Cruz every month. Really? And like, the... Oh, yeah. And the worst people I ever knew went to see him reliably which is uh, in in essence it's a version of the people who are in this movie but yeah i agree with you that's either like they knew about it and that's just gross yeah it's either it's either gross or let's say they didn't know about it it's like you said max a despicably stupid coincidence that's just like come on but the fact that he wasn't spending most of his time with the markowitz family is like right well, and i and i doing? wonder too if the Mar- i wonder too if the markowitz family would have put up too much of a hindrance to him making the movie he wanted to make because if you put yourself in their shoes like i would be very skeptical about letting someone into my life who wanted to like make a sort of hollywood version sure sure of what my family had been through if it was some horrible trauma you know mm-hmm. well unlike bully it's not something where i think that it's it's is kind of murky where it's like, okay, I don't want to talk to the Kent family because they clearly had a very different idea of who their son was than what was happening. Mm -hmm. But here it's just a pretty clear cut like this was senseless this did not need to happen. You can try to psychologically understand what was going through these kids minds, but he doesn't do that. And no matter what, you're going to be endeared 
to the kid who was killed and his family. Like, that's automatically where your sympathies are going to lie unless you're a psychopath. Clearly, I don't know. I, I, I think knowing those things about Cassavetes and seeing how much he drops the ball in the last 10 minutes, I don't want to say it should be easy, but that should be the easiest part of the movie to make work is post-killing, mm-hmm. how they go down, how they react to it. All that stuff is like, come on, man. Like, that's a no-brainer. But if you don't do all the legwork to get there in the right way, then you just can't do that. Like what you're Mm -hmm. saying, which is to execute it in the right way. All of that is contingent on doing everything else the right way. And I actually don't think this is like a terrible movie. I think it's a very flawed, frustrating movie. I don't think it's a terrible movie. Like what Max is saying, in order for that one part of the movie, which for some people, it should be, like you said, easy. That's the one part we know we can execute. But you got to fucking set it all up to be able to do that, right? And they don't really do that as much as they should have. I think the fault of this movie is on Nick Castavetes. Absolutely, yeah. I do not think the fault of this movie is on Sharon any Stone. of the perf- <laughs> It's definitely not on Sharon Stone. I don't think it's on any of the performers who aren't Emil Hirsch. What's the matter? You don't answer a motherfucking page? You got nothing to talk about. Oh, I think we do, don't you? Straighten out all this shit once and for all? There's nothing to straighten out, motherfucker. I know it was you. Johnny, I know. I know. And you're dead. Don't threaten me. Fuck that. It's a promise. No matter where you go, no matter what you do, I'm going to hunt you down. I'm going to hunt you down, and then I'm going to slit your throat. And then I'm going to cut you open, and then I'm going to eat your motherfucking heart! You better pray, Johnny. You better fucking pray that the cops find you before I do. Get on your cock, suck your knees, and pray! Hello? Hello? So... Just a percentage below bully as a 54%. Justin Chang of Variety said Alpha Dog is standard issue tabloid for pimped out as a serious true crime saga. No. <laughs> Jonathan Rosenbaum of the Chicago Reader said, apart from the grim forebodings of tragedy, yeah. writer-director Nick Cassavetes seems to have modeled this ambitious docudrama on Larry Clark's kitty porn shockers, but he doesn't know what to leave out, and the movie becomes excessively complicated. Let's see here. Marjorie Baumgarten of the Austin Chronicle said the film is way more about tits and ass and drugs and guns and California muscle cars and busting up house parties with kung fu than it is about deep characterization or the epic scale of Scarface. What is it with critics being like, oh, it's pimped out and there's tits in it? Like, what? The Oregonian said it's got skill and craft and some good acting to recommend it, and it's based on a true story, but its soulless posturing and jaded cynicism are far more repellent and cool. This is a good one. John Bifus of Commercial Appeal said, Sharon Stone's teary monologue near the end of the film might be more effective oh. if it weren't buried inside a fat suit that makes her look like Jiminy Glick. Oh! <laughs> <laughs> That's so fucking mean. The film was originally to be distributed by New Line Cinema when they requested edits to the film that the director didn't want to make. I'm like, what edits didn't he want to make that he already did make? I don't really understand it. They sold the film to Universal Pictures, which delayed the release by a year, but kept the film intact. Premiered at the 2006 Sundance Film Festival. It was the closing night film. A little tidbit about Ben Foster's method acting on set. In a scene where they have a fight, Sharon Stone hit Ben Foster so hard that his nose started bleeding. He told her to do so because he said the scene needed to be as realistic as possible. Possible. I want you to fucking lay me out. <laughs> Fuck my shit up, Sharon. Ben Foster asked one of his friends who was an ex-meth addict for guidance. The friend introduced him to a group of people who gave Foster an all-access pass into the lifestyle. It's like, it's yeah! <laughs> ben Foster risked his sight for the movie by adding glaucoma drops to his eyes for much of the shoot to dilate his pupils, making him appear to be high. Oh. He'd hide in the bush. <laughs> 
He'd hide in the bushes at night and cover his eyes between takes to keep the lights from shining into no. them. He would also talk to right <laughs> most of the time on set. He would talk to writer director Nick Cassavetes with his eyes closed. What? <laughs> just bleeding. <laughs> let's do just it. bumping into shit because he can't see. Let's do it. <laughs> God um, bless Ben Foster. Only one casting thing, and it's a big one. You'll never guess who was offered the role of Johnny Trula. <laughs> Who? Lance Bass. <laughs> We're gonna get Joey that. Fatone. J.C. Chazé. Uh, uh, <laughs> I'm trying to think of how old he was at the time. No, yeah, he's still too old. Leonardo DiCaprio. Oh, oh. He would have been great, though. Obviously, he would have been great, but he would have yeah. been 30 fucking years old. No, no, no. Yeah. I mean, I mean, like basketball's Diaries era, Leo DiCaprio. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Totally. Absolutely. Yeah, yeah. I think I know the answer to this, but if you could recast any part in this movie, who would it be? <laughs> Emil Hirsch. But I don't know who I would. Uh, I think he would have been slightly maybe too young at the time, although technically he would have been the right age. But too young for the part. I think Shia LaBeouf would have knocked it out of the park. I think Shia LaBeouf is charismatic and sadistic enough to play that character. I think Shia LaBeouf would have been better as the Justin Timberlake character. I think he could have played either one. I think he would have just been at home in this movie. Fuck, I think Jamie Bell would have been fucking better than Emile Hurst. Yeah, I'm going to go ahead and say Jonathan Lipnicki as uh, as his character. The kid from Jerry Maguire? Yeah. The little vampire? (laughs) (laughs) I'm a gangster now. I think Um, I'm going to go real weird um, and just like fuck this whole movie up and like cast Michael (laughs) Sarah. Honestly, I would rather see Michael Sarah as Johnny True Love than Emilio. Yeah, me too. Me too. Like, I'm like, go weird. Like, I'd rather just like go off. (laughs) Michael Sarah with bleach blonde hair on the run from the FBI sounds amazing. (laughs) That's it. That's it. I'm just, I'm going to go weird. Just have Jesse Eisenberg play him. Yeah. I'm going to need to get my money soon. <laughs> Jesse Jesse Eisenberg could have maybe played Anton's part. If Jesse Eisenberg played the Ben Foster role, if he shaved would, his head and had a swastika. <laughs> and just got super buff. <laughs> just Jesse Eisenberg taking fools down with jujitsu. <laughs> well, fuck Emil Hirsch. That would have been pretty crazy. Who's the MVP of Alpha Dog? Anton Yelchin, Ben Foster. And I feel bad for Sharon Stone. (laughs) (laughs) The three-way tie. Not the prosthetic artist and not the music supervisor, whose name is Spring Asper. I had to look them up. They are still working to this day. They should have been blacklisted after this movie. Let's get Spring Asper on the phone. Yeah, the MVP of this movie, it's two MVPs. Ben Foster is an MVP for just fucking going there. And uh, Anton is the MVP because he was a uh, wonderful actor and a great person. And I miss him all the time. MVPs of this movie are two good Jewish boys. Yeah, he's the heart of the movie. And Ben Foster is just the engine of the movie. Least valuable player. Hirsch. I'm going to say Nick Cassavetes. He cast Emil Hirsch. He had some questionable uh, approaches to the material. and Right. And it's also like if you had like, you know, a Paul, not that Paul Thomas Anderson would have directed a movie like this, but if you had like an amazing director pushing Emile Hirsch to give like a truly great performance, maybe he's not the least valuable player. Yeah. yeah. I think Larry yeah, Clark okay. could have gotten something out of him, but final rating on Alpha Dog. Huh. Yeah, it's tough because I don't. It's, it's, it's not, not a train wreck. Yeah, it's not no. a bad movie and it's not a good movie. It's just... Yeah, because I don't think it's like pretty, pretty good either. Like I, 
I might go I with. I think cult this classic. movie might defy your guys' yeah, rating I think, system. I th- yeah. No, I, I think it could be a cult classic. But again, I, I think part of the status of that is it being a movie that houses like Justin Timberlake. So, yeah. right. It's, right. It's so, amazing. yeah, I think How it's a cult people, classic. Yeah. I talk to a lot of people about this movie that have a soft spot for it that are like, oh, yeah, I kind of like Alpha Dog or people that are like our age or younger that I think remember it being better than it is and then watch it now and are like, okay, maybe it's not that good. If I'm recasting it with the Justin Timberlake part, I'm going to go full, like, this is who this person is now. Like, I want to see our Harry Styles version of it. Like, let's see if he can do better. <laughs> I'm not kidding. I think that kid has, I think that kid has it. I think he would be <laughs> less distracting. I think he would be able to blend into the movie. That's what I mean. Yeah, yeah. I, I actually think that. Yeah, I don't know what this movie is, but kind of. I think it's, you're right. It's a cult classic. It's future. got a cult following, yeah. It's like the definition of a B-minus movie. I can't even say it's a cult classic, to be honest, or a future cult movie, because cult movies are fun. Cult movies are interesting. Cult movies are weird. This movie is, like, proficient and, like, competent, but it's never, like... There are no scenes that don't involve Ben Foster that are like, oh, shit, that's weird, that's interesting. It's all just kind of, like, you know, checking the boxes for Mm -hmm. what a movie like this is supposed to be. All right, well... All right. If you'd like to slip on a white rib tank top and watch the two movies we just discussed, (laughs) Alpha Dog is available on Stars, and you can watch Bully on Hulu. It's also on Amazon Prime. And for our hardcore devotees who want to watch along with us and get ready for next week, we're finally pulling the trigger on one of Max's most anticipated episodes and talking about two Michael Mann misfires, I'm using air quotes, Black Hat, which is streaming on Cinemax, of course, and Miami Vice, the movie, not the show, um, which you'll have to rent somewhere, but it's going to be worth it because Colin Farrell's in it, and he's he's one of our daddies here on the podcast. He That's is. Right. Bucky. Is this his first Hot. appearance on the podcast? I don't think so. I can't remember. We now. we have at least talked about him as being you like we talked about him. Yeah, yeah, he eats pussy, and I think a lot of times when we re- <laughs> we've seen him eat pussy, we know yeah, we've he seen eats him pussy. eat pussy. I think that a lot of times when we recast things, he is like one of our one of our bros yeah. too. Oh, and we'll be joined by critic and writer Logan Kenny to discuss these hunky thrillers. Okay, that's right. They're hunky. They're hunky. Yeah, you get Chris Hemsworth and Colin Farrell. Oh, you're right. You're right. You know, Hemsworth, for as handsome that he is, he doesn't like, I, I think he's really handsome and cool. He's I like one of the get, like, a fuck you're, like, vibe you're undeniably from. a very handsome guy. Yeah, I just like yeah. don't get a fuck vibe from him, you know? That's right. But once again, yeah, thank you, Nick, for, yeah, for coming back. Yeah, man. This book, I was really looking forward to this one, man. This is like decades in the making. Max yeah, and I is... have, uh, we've lived these movies, you know? This is our friendship coming full circle, yeah. And for our fans at home, please remember to smash, smash. Smash it. Smash the subscribe button on iTunes, Spotify, Overcast, wherever you're listening to podcasts. Just fucking smash it. And follow us on Instagram. Thank you for listening. Yeah, thanks, guys. I'm just a big